Lance Russell and Dave Brown right along ringside. By golly, we're about ready to go with more big action. Thank you very much, and welcome to Georgia Championship Wrestling. I'm Gordon Sola, your host, and we have quite an hour in store for us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Championship Wrestling at ringside. This is Vince McMahon, along with wrestling's only living legend, Bruno Sammartino. Welcome to this week's edition of Mid-South Wrestling Television. I'm your host, Boyd Pierce, another outstanding card. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Regional Wrestling Podcast, where we talk the territories. That's right, 100% territory talk guaranteed here on the show. And I am your host, Ray Russell. And here this week, we're going to continue on with our 1986 Mid-South Wrestling Project. Going to bring back guest co-host Roman Gomez for the ride here in just a couple of minutes. It's two months down, 10 to go as we begin talking the month of March 1986 in the Mid-South Wrestling, soon to be the UWF. But before we get into all of that, just a friendly reminder that you can listen to the Regional Wrestling Podcast along with sister shows like the Wrestling Memory Grenade and Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. It's Raw versus Nitro as we break down the entire Monday Night War era. And ironically, both of those shows right now, finishing up the month of July, of course, the Grenade podcast currently covering the 1987 and the WWF project over on the Grenade. And then in Monday Warfare, finishing up the month of July in 1996, coming out of the In Your House International Incident pay-per-view, headed into SummerSlam, then over on WCW, growing closer to the first ever Hog Wild pay-per-view. Of course, the NWO is now formed in World Championship Wrestling over in the World Wrestling Federation. They're trying to get their act together. But with the Warrior out, Psycho Sid has returned, and it's Shawn Michaels versus Vader on the top over there in the WWF. And then over on the Grenade Show 1987, superstar Billy Graham has just returned to the ring. Ken Patera about to suffer an unfortunate injury. We'll have even more Million Dollar Man vignettes coming our way. Plus, our first look at Ravishing Rick Rude in the World Wrestling Federation. And the battle for Bam Bam Bigelow begins. All sorts of things going on in the summer of 87 over at the Wrestling Memory Grenade. You can listen to that show, Monday Warfare, and of course, Regional Wrestling and more. All as part of the WrestleCopia Podcast Network located over at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com and anywhere your podcast streaming needs are met. From Apple to Spotify, Google and beyond. You can also follow me on social media. Follow me on Twitter at Rasslin Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also, follow and like me at Facebook.com slash Rasslin Grenade. Follow me on social media for all the latest goings on at the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. And I'm also constantly adding old school video clips and pictures from throughout wrestling history. And speaking of videos, be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel located over at YouTube.com slash Rasslin Grenade uploading new footage all the time as I continue to preserve my old VHS collection by converting it all to digital. Nearly 500 videos up there on my YouTube channel and counting. Now is also an awesome time to become a WrestleCopia patron. You can find us there at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That address again, patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Multiple tiers to choose from, but I only ask you guys to give it a try at that $5 all-access tier. If you guys appreciate the time and the effort I put into all of the WrestleCopia brand and you got a few bucks laying around, it would be a great time to become a patron at that $5 all-access level. Get you all sorts of gifts for just 5 bucks, including all of my insanely detailed show notes for the Wrestling Memory Grenade Monday Warfare 
and the Regional Wrestling Podcast as well. And when I say show notes, guys, I mean detailed book-like show notes, pages and pages of show notes for each and every show for the Grenade, Monday Warfare, and Regional Wrestling. Plus, you'll also get early access to many of the podcasts here on WrestleCopia. Listen days and sometimes as much as a week earlier than the rest of the listeners. Plus, remastered versions of the earliest episodes of The Grenade covering the 1989 NWA project includes enhanced sound quality and new content and conversations originally edited out of the initial broadcast of the show, edited right back in. But that's not all. You'll also get digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure. And of course, our Patreon-exclusive watch-along series covering many past WWF and WCW pay-per-views, Coliseum videos, Saturday Night's Main Events, Clash of the Champions, and so much more. You get all of that, guys, plus random bonus video drops and other articles and goodies I might find along the way that I just randomly drop for the fun of it for my patrons. And you get all of that for the low, low price of just $5 a month. No subscription. Cancel any time. Show your support. Give us a try for a month. I think you'll like the content I offer. And every penny of it, guys, goes right back here into the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. It's your patronage that helps me pay the bills to keep this thing up and running for the months and the years to come. So I want to thank all of you so very much for your loyalty to the brand. And with all of that out of the way, guys, it's time to jump back to 1986. Last time out, we finished out the month of February. So this week, it only makes sense to continue on. Going to kick off the month of March here in 1986 in the Mid-South Territory. As we get ready to go with March 1986 and Mid-South Wrestling and soon to be the UWF, I got to bring him back again, formerly of the Mid-Atlantic Championship Podcast and now a recurring guest here on Regional Wrestling. Going to welcome him back one more time, Roman Gomez. Welcome back to the show yet again, Roman. Pleasure to have you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a while. Work's been crazy, but I'm glad we're able to do this today. Absolutely. I'm super excited to get back into the Mid-South Wrestling here. In 1986, been doing a lot of 81 Georgia with Jamie Ward recently. It's nice to kind of break the monotony. No offense, Jamie. I love the Georgia 81, but I've been missing me some Mid-South 86. So we're going to kick off a whole new month here this time around, uh, Roman. It's a new month here in the month of March. So hopefully if you're ready to go, we'll get rolling. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So as always, when we get started with the new month of Mid-South, we're going to look at a few pieces of news before we jump into the TV and results. So Let's take a look at some of the Mid-South news for the month of March here in 1986, if that's okay with you, Roman. Yep. So just a quick refresher, guys, as we discussed at the end of last episode, the North American champion Dick Slater also wins the television title on February the 28th, beating out former champion now Jake the Snake Roberts in Houston. It was also Jake the Snake's last night with the company, making Slater a dual champion, which is a no-no here in the Mid-South. We'll talk about that in a minute. So we talked about Jake's departure as well at the end of uh, last episode. Some interesting nuggets of info came out of that. And uh, if you guys are interested, go back and check that out. But as per usual, the Mid-South Wrestling rules, 
state that Dick Slater can only hold one title. So we'll talk more about that as the TV goes on here in the month of March. But for right now, we'll continue on with some more news. Killer Carl Cox also going to be brought back as a special referee for some upcoming steel cage matches involving tag team champions Dr. Death, Steve Williams, Ted DiBiase, taking on the likes of Dick Murdoch and a masked superstar. Don't know which one. So those matches usually going to lead, apparently, to Carl Cox KOing Dick Murdoch most nights on the tour. And we'll get a taste of that on TV as the month of March continues as well, guys. But uh, Roman, Killer Carl Cox wants a gigantic part of the Tri-States and Mid-South Wrestling region. Yeah, I guess they're throwing him a bone by letting him uh, come back and putting him into the spotlight a little bit. But just what you were talking about on the intro just got me thinking about something, Ray. Like, I wonder how many people, when they heard Slater was a dual champion, were thinking like, here we go again. You know, like, (laughs) I thought they were trying to avoid that. You know, I'm sure a lot of people were thinking like, what are they doing? You know, I wonder in this instance, if this was a Bill Watts call, if he wanted Slater, if this, he wanted this to happen. I mean, Jake the Snake did give his notice, as we talked about on last episode, and they had to find somebody to kind of give the belt to, and he was in the middle of this feud with Slater. The matches were already booked. Were they pigeonholed into this, do you think? I, I don't know, but what they did was quite interesting and uh, yes, maybe a little trailblazing, you know, as we'll talk about coming up in a little bit. Indeed, indeed we will. And I, and I touched on this last time as well, guys, but Kelly Kaniski, who is currently playing the part of the Mask Superstar number 2, is going to walk out of the company. On March the 19th, after a show in Alexandria, Louisiana, after teaming with Bill Eady as the Masked Superstars, they'll pick up a win that night on March the 19th over the team of Brett Sawyer and Dave Peterson. But Kaniski, he's going to call it a career afterwards. And this was after they'd already set up some Doc and DiBiase versus Murdoch and Superstar and even Doc and DiBiase versus both Masked Superstar matches, tag team titles versus the Loser Unmasks or Dick Murdoch Leaves Town kind of gimmick going on there. It was supposed to lead to Kaniski unmasking around the loop. Instead, they'll have to change up the claws here in the, in the, in the title matches, following this into some loser leaves town matches instead for X amount of days. In reality, the story goes, Bill Eady, the original and real authentic mask superstar. I don't think you're going to argue that Roman demanded Kaniski quit playing a superstar character while Edy was going to leave once again to go to New Japan. He's going to take time off to go on another tour of Japan on April the 11th. And Edy came down with an edict that before he left, he wanted Kaniski unmasked permanently uh, so that there would be no other masked superstars running around town while he was gone. So at this point, it seems like Kaniski had become disenchanted with the business. The territories were drying up. Work was becoming more sparse. And this was like his last big break. And it looks like this is it for him. He's he's just sick of it all. He doesn't appear to even want the main event paydays on the way out of the business at this point. Just walks out, quits the business overnight, which is unfortunate considering his heritage. Yeah, it is interesting. You know, a lot of wrestlers would have looked at it like I finally got a little little taste of the big time, you know, right. Maybe, yeah. you know, I'll keep going. And with him, it was kind of the reverse. You know, I guess it kind of soured him on the sport, the way everything went down. Yeah, and it's uh, ironic that his brother, Nick, will wind up just for a cup of coffee about six months with the WWF in 1987. So just as Kelly calls it quits, he's watching uh, Nick Kaniski pop up. Uh, Say what you will about the World Wrestling Federation. He's still, quote-unquote, made it at least for six months. So uh, it's it's unfortunate, but Kelly Kaniski going to retire from the business here in the March of 1986. We roll on with more news here. The WWF announces their debut show in New Orleans, Louisiana, and of all places, the Superdome on March the 7th. And no coincidence, 
that the Crockett Cup joint show just over a month away, April 19th, also in the Superdome. So one thing you can't say about Vince McMahon is that he doesn't have balls. Not just walking into Watts country, but right into their biggest venue and their debut in the city. This was prior to WrestleMania three by a year. So they didn't really have that in their back pocket to show off yet either. Well, Vince was definitely not shy. I mean, he didn't get to be where he was by catering to people and whatnot. You know, if he saw something he wanted, he went for it. And for him, I mean, that was a huge deal, you know, to go, like you said, go into the Superdome. Right. In your debut, in your debut, Roman. (laughs) You've never even been to the city before. (laughs) Yeah, he, he didn't mess around. When he went for it, he went for it. And it's a questionable card, and we'll talk about it a little later in this episode, but they do pretty well. Uh, we'll talk about the gate as well when we get there. Uh, also in the month of March, some new debuting talent, some fresh talent coming into the Mid-South region, including a tag team by the name of the Blade Runners, initially named Rock and Flash. Mid-South going national, and they can't afford a lawsuit from DC Comics, so Flash quickly renamed Sting. Yes, guys, that Sting. And Rock equals the ultimate warrior. Warrior and Sting, the Blade Runners here in Mid-South Wrestling. And if anybody told you back then that they saw two former world champions, they would have been lying through their teeth. Oh, my they God. They were man. green as grass. <laughs> yeah, I knew they were green, and I know you know how the Warrior developed or didn't develop over time. And that's coming from a fan. I was a kid in the 80s, remember? So I was huge on the Warrior leading into you know 1990, the, the ultimate challenge with Hogan and all that. But going back and uh, even watching him, I, I get that. But Sting, whew, that, I mean, I was shocked. I hadn't seen the Blade Runners in a while. Roman, so when I watched this, I was like, oh, he gads. And you ain't kidding. If, if you claim that you saw future champions in either one of these guys here in 1986, you're full of it. Exactly. Exactly. There was nothing to indicate that they could have even been basically mid-carters, no, let yeah. alone headliners. Yeah, they couldn't even get their balance in the ring at times. It's just frightening. <laughs> and, I, I, and I remember when Phil Hickerson said of Memphis, all those two knew how to do was shoot their booties full of steroids, you know? And, and at that time, it was pretty much appropriate. Yeah, yeah. So a situation happens, Roman, here pretty early in their stay in the Mid-South Territory, and I'm, we might as well just touch on it now and get it out of the way. And I, I don't, I'm sure you know what I'm referencing here, so I'll, I'll let you tell the story instead of me trying to hog all the spotlight on the show. Do you know the story between Dick Slater, Dark Journey, and Sting? And if so, please share it with the uh, listeners out there. Well, from what I heard, that Sting had been messing around with Journey, and that was Slater's woman, and I had heard that Slater stuck Sting's face mm-hmm. in a urinal and flushed the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I had heard. Yeah, and uh, you know, I've heard uh, Dark Journey tell the story. I don't, you know, I don't remember who else told the story that was in the locker room when this went down, but it seemed pretty accurate from all sides. I could tell. Journey claims nothing was really going on. Sting was giving her a ride or she was giving Sting a ride or something was going on like that at the time. They were fresh in the territory, brand new, were the Warrior and Sting at this point. And they walk into the territory, a major no-no. Whether something happened or not, I don't know, because Journey was pretty open on her shoot interview as far as who she was with and who she wasn't with. And she claims she wasn't with Sting. I, I don't know. That aside, the situation was Sting got into a car with Journey, which was enough for Dick Slater, right? And they get to the show, and from my understanding, it's the Blade Runners in a locker room. Slater attacks Sting, and Rock, the warrior, is in there as well. So Dickie Murdoch comes in with Slater. He's not trying to fight anybody, but Murdoch grabs Warrior by the chest and pins him against the wall just to make sure he doesn't get involved. That's all he does. Meanwhile, both the guys are just standing there watching 
Dick Slater, as you said, uh, I, I do know he gave Sting a shiner, bruised up his face pretty good. And then, like you said, stuck his face in the toilet, urinal, whatever the case may be. Uh, it's it's insane. Welcome to professional wrestling. <laughs> yeah, and it's not something uh, Sting has ever mentioned, which no. is rightfully so. No. If, in fact, it did happen, it's not one of your shining moments, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah that's uh, that's one aspect of the story we've never heard from. I'm, I'd be very curious, though, i got to admit. <laughs> also, yeah, yeah, Slater's no longer around to, to say anything about it. Not that he would have remembered it anyway, at least maybe not accurately. <laughs> also in town, besides the Blade Runners, newcomer Jack Victory, initially in as a corner man and flag bearer for the Sheepherders, as we're going to see. And uh, eventually he's also going to become a jack of all trades, if you will. See what I did there? Jack Victory on his way into the territory. What did you make of a young Jack Victory? I liked Victory. And, you know, like you said, he was a jack of all trades. He, uh, would put on a mask. He, he'd pretend to be Russian. He'd, be, he'd do this gimmick, this gimmick. But you know, he, he served his purpose. I thought I thought him and Tatum were a very, uh, very good duo. You know, kind of underrated in some aspects. Yeah, it was crazy when I covered the NWA '89 project. What all they had Jack Victory doing? You want to talk about putting on a mask? He'd work the openers, the uh, one of the Russian assassins. Then somebody would no show, and he would have to put on a mask, the blackmailer or whatever the case may be. Uh, in the mid, and then, you know, uh, like Dennis Condry skips town, and then he's a member of the new original Midnight Express, all on the same card. It's insane how much work Jack Victory did for the the Crockett, or I guess Turner promotion there, during that that little bit of time he was still with the company in 1989. And if you're a promoter, you would love him. You know, he he would be willing to do anything to, to help the card out, you know? So if you're a promoter, you definitely wanted Jack Victory in your locker room. Yeah, and that's obvious here, as we're going to see as we move on in 1986, everything Jack Victory does here with the uh, Mid-South Wrestling Territory. But yeah, Jack Victory on his way in. You guys are going to see him soon here on the Regional Wrestling Podcast. Also, returning to the territory, superstar Bill Dundee, Nature Boy Buddy Landell. They're going to be in for some dates leading into the Crockett Cup Tag Team Tournament. And by mid-March, we're also going to be changing bookers. A quick run here it was for Terry Taylor with the pencil. Now it's going to be Ken Mantell's turn. Ken Mantell coming in, leaving Dallas after an extremely successful three-year run. Well, for the most part, anyway, at least 83, 84. Uh, some people say Ken Mantell was a genius booker. Other people said he just lucked into a perfect place and time in the Dallas territory. Uh, I don't know if you have an opinion on that either way, Roman, but we're changing bookers already. Terry Taylor was given a, a very brief run here, about two and a half months with the pencil, and now taking over is going to be Ken Mantell. Things are going to change, and obviously for the better. And Mantell has a lot of ins with a lot of those Dallas guys. We're going to see that very soon. You took the words right out of my, out of my mouth. I was thinking when Mantell was there, you, you started to see an Iceman Parsons, a Missing yes. Link, the Freebirds. You know, you can go on and on. There was definitely a Dallas connection when Mantell was calling the shots. And I, I love this, the storylines, the angles, and everything they do while Ken Mantell's booking here. But even if, you know, they weren't so great that the stories and things of that nature, it was the talent that he was simply able to make a phone call to and bring in that really boosted the Mid-South territory as well. Yeah, you know, and just Sunshine, that's another one. You know, she oh, managed yeah. the Freebirds for a while. That's and yeah, right. there was lots of talent he brought in. And Ken's power uh, quickly made obvious here, using the likes of Kamala in the city of Houston, which was a surprise because Kamala had walked out of the Mid-South territory back just about a year ago, 1985, he was supposed to do a loop with Hacksaw Jim Duggan where Kamala was going to lose every night, loser leaves town matches. But instead, he decided to leave the territory 
and it had a bad taste in both Paul Bosch and Bill Watts's mouth, but Kamala going to be brought back, at least used in Houston for the short term. So clearly a booker is usually given a little leeway to bring in, quote unquote, their people. And Kamala must be one of those people for Ken Mantell. Yeah, yeah, it could be. And uh, Kamala, maybe he had to go back to Uganda for something. But yeah, he left the territory. And like you said, they brought him back. And uh, last but not least, the biggest piece of news before we get into the TV is that Mid-South Wrestling going to undergo a name change upcoming here shortly. But we'll get into that uh, when we get there. Mid-South Wrestling going national. And if you're listening to this, you probably know the the new name of the company. But again, we'll save that for when we get there, Roman, likely on the next edition of the Mid-South Regional Wrestling Podcast. But uh, it's going to be interesting. Everything's going to change. Just going national. I can see Dusty Rhodes selling this for Bill Watts. Going national, baby, if you will. Yeah, and, you know, going change meant bigger arenas, which was good. But, you know, you do kind of miss the, the feel, the old Irish Mills Boys Club. Yes. But, yeah, there was a lot of excitement with the name change and going to bigger arenas. They Don't get me wrong, guys. They, Bill Watts has known about this for a few months. Like you said, Roman, they already moved out of the Irish McNeil. They moved into Tulsa Fairgrounds and things like that. So they've been slowly preparing for this moment, changing up Boyd Pierce over to Jim Ross and Joel Watts for the better or worse, you know, what have you. But all of these uh, videos too, these music videos made by Joel Watts, just enhancing the product, the talent, Bill Watts kind of caving in a little bit, allowing Coco Beware to come out to rock and roll music and uh, celebrate with the fans instead of getting in the ring and just wrestling. It's becoming more, it's becoming more of a national thing. Bill Watts sees what's working in the WWF, whether he likes it or not. And he's using a little bit of it. Well, and, and also, you know, just knowing that the Crockett cup is coming up shortly, that's not something you can put together in five minutes. No, you know, so they, <laughs> they knew they were going big time. You know, it was, it was definitely in the works. Well, some of the teams in the first round you could put together in five minutes, but that's another story. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to move on. We're going to start with TV now, Roman. And it all starts back on March the 1st, the very first day of the month. Mid-South Wrestling TV taped February 11th in the Marriott, Oklahoma City. Jim Ross, Joe Watts on commentary for this one. As we see a reminder from last week, it was the tag team champions, Doc and DiBiase, taking on Murdoch and superstar number two when the real mask superstar, Bill Eady, makes his return to the territory and attacks the tag team champions. So, Murdoch doesn't just have one superstar in his pocket. Now he has two. And if you're a babyface, you know, if you're, if you're believing in the storyline and kayfabe, like how do you prepare a game plan if you're not sure which superstar is going to be in, in action? There you go. And we learned today's main event on Mid-South Wrestling Today. Listen to this, guys. Jake the Snake Roberts taking on Terry Taylor in a number one contender match for Dick Slater's North American title. And then it's off to a throwback match. We go all the way back to February of 1985 when then TV champion Terry Taylor scores a win over Jake the Snake Roberts using that five-arm maneuver. Uh, Post-match, though, we see Jake Roberts, who was a heel at the time, lay Taylor out with a DDT on the chair. So clearly no love lost between these two as we head into this babyface versus babyface match. Uh, At least that's the way the fans may be looking at this later in the show. We see what's happened in the past between these two. And it's nice that they did do a little refresher, you know, a VTR, videotape replay or whatnot, of showing those two. Because if you're new to the Mid-South territory, you might not know that they had a little bit of a history. So kudos to them on going back in the archives a little bit. And the, and it doesn't end there, Roman, because not only do we go back in time and kind of see uh, back history between these two, up next, Jim Ross in the ring going to interview both guys about that upcoming match later in the program. First, here we hear, 
Terry Taylor. Well, Dick Slater's forced his hand. He's made this a very unpopular decision. But when I came here to Mid-South, I made my intentions perfectly clear right up front that I did come here to be the North American champion. And that isn't given to you. You have to do some unpopular things and make some decisions that you have to live with. Well, Jake Roberts, I remember you, and I remember the last time that we wrestled each other, I had six, six stitches in my head from that DDT on that steel chair. And that's still in my memory, and I'm just telling you right now, I'm after that title, and if I have to go through you, Jake, that's what I'm going to do. And Taylor, he remembers the last time he met with Jake, so Terry Taylor referencing here in the promo that he got six stitches in his head from that DDT on the chair. And if he had to go through Jake to get to Slater, then so be it. And what an effective way to help get the DDT over even more, if that's possible, because everybody loved it. Just mentioning the six stitches shows you how devastating of a maneuver the DDT is. Yeah, and it's uh, clearly still fresh in Terry Taylor's mind. A year later, I remember six stitches you put in my head with that DDT on the chair. So we heard from one side of the matchup. Now we're going to hear Jim Ross in the ring once again, this time with Jake the Snake Roberts. Those comments from Terry Taylor, he is a very goal-oriented young man, as I've said many times. But he's going against one of the most deadly athletes in professional wrestling, the man of the DDT, Jake the Snake Roberts. I asked him some questions. Here's what he had to say. You know, everybody everybody knows that I've spent a long time chasing you, Dick Slater. And everybody knows that I've had to spill my own blood chasing you, Dick Slater. Now, all of a sudden... Because the Mid-South thinks so and because maybe somebody else thinks so, I don't know. They tell me that Terry Taylor is also a top contender. Terry Taylor is a fine athlete. You are a very fine athlete, Terry Taylor, but let me tell you something. Do you have a short memory, my man? Because it's going to wind up the same way. So Jake says he's been chasing Dick Slater. He feels like he has his number. But all of a sudden, because Mid-South thinks so and because maybe, quote-unquote, someone else thinks so, they tell Jake that Terry Taylor is also a contender. I wrote, shoot, here from Jake the Snake Roberts. I love this promo because maybe because someone else thinks so. I think he's referencing Terry Taylor, the booker here. This is right. This is the, this was taped the night Jake gave his notice because he found out that Terry Taylor was going to replace him uh, as the number one guy in the company <laughs> for the North America title. So I thought that was a little bit of a shoot there by Jake in this promo. And he says Taylor is a fine athlete but it's going to end up the same way as last time when they met a year ago. I have to remind you, Jake, you lost that match. Yeah, a little bit of a sarcasm and whatnot, but like you said, there was some truth in there, and I'm sure uh, Jake was not happy that Taylor was uh, entering himself into the title situation because we had talked about that Jake and Slater had kind of mapped things out for themselves, you know, and here comes Taylor because he's got the power of the pen right. starting to work himself into the angle. There you go. And, and I should mention, we talked about the refresher from last year and these quick promos with Jim Ross. They did all of this in like three or four minutes. Unbelievable, streamlined and to the point, but they touch every aspect you could ask for to make this match as meaningful as possible. And it's not just a match. It's not just a number one contender match. Context is added here with a clip from their prior meeting a year ago. We hear from both sides. Excellent job of telling a story rather than just selling it as two top guys fighting later tonight. Right, and even if they did have not have any history, I'd still want to see that match because of who, who was involved. I just felt like everything they did here at the top of the show and in such quick fashion really enhanced it for me. Yes, yes, no wasted time. You know, like you said, they got a lot done in a short period of time with those uh, video replays and whatnot. And we head to the ring for our very first match here this week on TV. It's the Bruise Brothers 
Pork Chop Cash and Mad Dog Boyd still here, taking on Luke and Butch the Sheep Herders, and Butch doesn't appear to want to sell for Pork Chop Cash to start the match off, and the Herders just working Cash over, but finally Pork Chop jukes around the ring and crawls over, makes the tag to Mad Dog Boyd, but Boyd immediately catches a knee to the gut, and it's a Bushwhacker-style battering ram from the Herders here, and then the double gut buster going to get the win in two minutes and six seconds, and wow. Talk about a squash. I don't know if the directive here was don't sell at all, but Porkchop Cash tried throwing some blows early on and Butch was having none of it. Then Boyd tagged in and they went right into these sheep herders finishing moves and they pick up the win in like two minutes flat. And it's like I said, wow, safe to say the bruises on the way out of the territory. Uh, they'll continue to do the job to the sheep herders on the house shows for the next eight or nine days after this. And every week the herders build continues to grow. They haven't had an issue putting anybody away in two or three minutes' time. That match served a couple purposes. You know, it showed that the Sheepherders were definitely a championship-caliber team and by their dominance, and then it showed also that there was really no plans for uh, the Bruce Brothers. You know, for them to be squashed so quickly on TV shows that they weren't part of the uh, Mid-South future. Yeah, so, and the Bruce Brothers are on their way out oh. of the territory. The Sheepherders are... Clearly the dominant heel tag team at this point, especially with the Fabulous Ones gone. So the Sheepherders making a play, no doubt about it, towards that tag team title currently held by Ted DiBiase and Dr. Death Steve Williams. And here on Mid-South, they head into a commercial break, and I posted this on my YouTube channel, and it's also on this episode of TV on YouTube as well. But it's a WWF commercial promoting the Superdome show coming up on March the 7th. I'll let you guys listen to that, and we'll talk about it on the other side. The superstars of the World Wrestling Federation are finally coming to the Superdome. Friday night, 8 p.m., the Junkyard Dog returns home to battle Terry Funk and manager Jimmy Mouth of the South Hearts. Hulkamania hits New Orleans when Hulk Hogan puts his WWF heavyweight belt on the line against the Iron Sheik. Jesse the Body Ventura meets Uncle Elmer, plus Valentine, Beefcake, King Kong Bundy, and much more. Tickets now on sale at all Ticketmaster locations and the Dome. Friday night, the superstars of WWF. All right, so there it was, Junkyard Dog going to return home here in New Orleans to take on Terry Funk, also on the card. WWF champion Hulk Hogan taking on the Iron Sheik. Seems a little outdated, but whatever. And a hard sell, Roman. Jesse the Body Ventura taking on Uncle Elmer. What a card. Uh, Ventura and <laughs> Elmer, good God. Ventura, as great as he was on the mic, when it came to actual in-ring action, if you watched him, he was... Not a great technician, to say the least. And then Uncle Elmer, oh, goodness gracious. I That would have been a popcorn match right there. That's when you go get your popcorn and your sodas during that match. Yeah, well, I got some news for you guys. You wonder what this drew in New Orleans. Vince McMahon walking in, debut of the World Wrestling Federation down there at the Superdome, reportedly draws 12,600 fans out to see, just a few of the results, Uncle Elmer pin Jesse the Body Ventura, Tag Team Champions Dream Team over the Bulldogs. Junkyard Dogs scoring a win over Terry Funk. And in the main event, uh, did you guys have any doubt? Hulk Hogan scoring the win over the Iron Sheik. Just a few of the matches. True, almost 13,000 fans. I can't believe it. But maybe it's just the idea. It's the debut of the WWF in the territory. Yeah, you know, they might have. The, the fans in that area might not have only been Mid-South fans, but maybe they were WWF fans as well. You know, I, I know during the era... I liked all federations, you know, right. I didn't discriminate against any federations, you know, so if a different federation came to my town, I'd want to check them out as well. 
I was just really shocked at the number they did there because, you know, you look at them when they tried to invade Dallas or Crockett country and things like that. It just, it was a hard crack. It took them years in some places, some markets, it took them forever to really draw in. And I think some of the mid South territory as well, but apparently not in New Orleans, at least not here in 1986. It would be interesting and there's no way to quantify it, but I wonder how many people went just because the dog was on the card. Oh, that's a good call. I mean, that was really smart. Say what you will. That was smart. And it seems like obvious booking, but I've seen them, you know, blow it before in the past when they've invaded new cities and they don't really capitalize on some of the talent they had that was big time stars in those cities. But here they make a good call. Junkyard Dog does return home to Louisiana. So, yeah, that's a good call. It is. There's no way, like you said, to figure it out. But I do wonder now that you mention it, how many of those 12,000 plus were there just to see the dog? Well, you know, especially if you get somebody that's, you know, maybe younger in age that, you know, Junkyard Dog was their hero when they were eight years old. And right. now that they're 10, they they still like them. You know, they've seen them on the cartoons, maybe, you know, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll never know. But it's just a thought that popped into my head. No, good call, Roman. That's what you're here for, to call me out on and <laughs> make me wake up and re- realize. <laughs> once, in a, once in a while, I come up with a good thought. <laughs> oh, you sound like Jamie. Come on. You guys, you, you guys are my equals. Let's uh, let's roll on with the TV. It's Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer taking on Al Perez up next. Remember, this was postponed from a few weeks ago. Perez had uh, reportedly missed the show. But uh, if you remember back just a few weeks ago, they had a confrontation, which set up a matchup between these two. And here it is this week. Bill Watts didn't forget about it. So we're going to have the match here this week. And as the match gets going, Perez working a headlock here. And as I watched the matchup, I wrote, the two men make it fun. This headlock spot here. Lesson to the modern day fans. It doesn't have to be a rest hold. Right, Roman? Oh, exactly. You can get something out of it if you knew how to do it. You know, if you got the side headlock and maybe pull the guy's hair and get a little heat that way. And, you know, back then it was, it was about getting a reaction from the crowd. Yeah, these guys did a really good job here with it. Just kicking the match off. But uh, as the match goes on, Sawyer finally using leverage to send Perez out to the floor. Mad Dog trying to take advantage and suplex Al back inside the ring, but Perez floating over from behind, landing on his feet, and lands his finisher. Belly-to-back suplex on the Mad Dog. German suplex with the bridge, going to get the one, two, but Buzz Sawyer kicks out. The first man ever to kick out of Al Perez's belly-to-back suplex. Unbelievable here. Sawyer then goes to the eyes, but misses a middle rope elbow drop, allowing Al Perez to come back with a flying forearm. Not quite a five-arm like Terry Taylor, but it does connect. And Perez going up for a reverse flying body block. But Buzz Sawyer catches him in midair, turns it into a nasty power slam. Sawyer going to get the one, two, three. And they did all of this in just four minutes and 30 seconds. The Mad Dog pinning Al Perez. I, I got kind of a chuckle out of Joel Watts seeming so surprised that Buzz Sawyer kicked out of the German suplex. I mean... <laughs> You know, you look back in retrospect, this was Al Perez right, in a German suplex. It wasn't Paul Orndorff's pile driver. You know, like it wasn't like Al Perez won, you know, 15 world championships using that German suplex. I just thought that was kind of amusing how Joel Watts reacted. And uh, yeah, that was a cool finish to the match. You know, that power slam with Perez coming off the rope like that. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a cool looking finish. And Al Perez, guys, already gone by the time this makes air. He actually finished up on February 19th in Alexandria after losing a match to Dick Slater. Now, they tried to keep Al Perez relevant, but just couldn't find much for him to do after that tag team title run with Wendell Cooley. So this is probably the last time we're going to see Perez here on TV. 
Of course, somebody's kicking out of his finisher, Buzz Sawyer kicking out of the finisher of Alperez, and then doing the clean job to a heel, Buzz Sawyer with that nice-looking finish, that power slam maneuver. Buzz Sawyer could hit it out of anywhere, and Alperez now gone from the company. Yeah, no, like we said before, Alperez just, nobody seemed to know what to do with him. You know, he, he had the look and, the, and some talent, but nobody knew what to do with the guy. Show goes on. It's Masked Superstars 1 and 2 teaming up. Bill Eady and Kelly Kaniski. Dick Murdoch going to accompany them to the ringside, taking on the team of Steve Dahl and Dave Peterson. And Peterson made to look competent here early on, but Steve Dahl is just pummeled as the quote-unquote 19-year-old rookie. Narrative continues here. Again, his online info would state different. Steve Dahl putting him at around 26 years old in real life. Fun spot, though. Steve Dahl ducks Kaniski's clothesline then lifts his head back up, only to run into Edie's clothesline instead. So if the right one don't get you, then the left one will. Of course, Edie being the Southpaw, see what I did there? And these superstars got to get the win in just two minutes and 18 seconds. Yeah, and my notes I wrote down, it was a very quiet crowd. You know, it was like they didn't take to the superstars Stars as a tanking. team. And yeah. yeah, I thought that was neat. You know, ducked under one clothesline and bam, got, got hit by the <laughs> other one. So that was a different finish, different type of finish, but it looked good. Yeah, it was different. And that's, I think that's really why I liked it. So it was really cool. <laughs> and it's heels doing it. You know, that's more of a baby face thing. Like, oh, you know, I, I, I fooled the first one, but I got hit by the second one. But it just shows how crafty Bill Eadie was. Great finish there. Yeah, and just, Thinking about the superstar, I mean, it would have been great somehow if they could have reunited him with the uh, Super Destroyer, Scott Hogg Irwin. I, th- I thought they were a really good tag team in Georgia, you know, and uh, that would have been great to see those two team up again. Show rolls on with Taurus Bulba out here with hot stuff. Eddie Gilbert in his corner taking on Tracy Smothers. Smothers making his Mid-South debut. And as the match gets going, a dropkick going to knock Bulba off his feet. And then Smothers firing up with a body slam and another dropkick. By the wild-eyed Southern boy, not the best look for a monster here to keep bumping, but it's Tracy Smothers, Roman, so I'm biased and I really don't care. And Bulba taking over, beating down Tracy, and Smothers finally missing a dropkick on an attempted comeback. Bulba then grabbing his own head and driving it down into Tracy's chest, a la Missing Link. Going to get the win here for Taurus Bulba in two minutes and 12 seconds. And Joel Watts even being nice here and using the quote-unquote Low center of gravity line for Taurus Bulba. Uh, we all get it, Joe. He's short. Uh, Juan Reynosa, who's playing the part of Taurus Bulba, perfectly fine hand in the ring for an underneath guy. And I'm not big on the whole wrestlers needing to be a certain height deal, but I'm just not buying a monster out of Bulba here, no matter what they do with him. And based on his stint, because he's gone by the end of April, it's likely many others didn't buy into him either. Yeah, I was just going to say the same thing when you said that. Nobody was buying him as a heel. As a monster heel, I should right. say. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but it's uh, it's cool to see that they're trying and they're going to give this experiment a couple more weeks before they uh, put the kibosh on it. But the show rolls on. Six-man tag team action. This is a fun one. Standing in the ring, the team of Mike Scott, Sean O'Reilly, and Rob Ricksteiner. They're going to take on the three-man duo of the Rock and Roll Express and Ricky Gibson. So the Gibsons reunite here. Ricky and Robert Gibson, along with Ricky Morton. Where's Lance Russell on commentary when you need him, Roman? And obviously the rock and roll's familiar with Ricky Gibson, so they all work together well, taking apart Sean O'Reilly to begin things. Then Rob Ricksteiner going to tag in, takes one shot from Ricky Gibson, and Rick Steiner just tagging back out. He's not going to have any of it. And in comes Big Mike Scott. Oh, I groan every time he's in the ring. Scott in, and he takes a drop kick from Ricky Gibson, and that's going to get the one, two, three in just 
56 seconds. I wrote, that's it? No, wait, Roman. It's a six-way melee at the end of the matchup, leading to double dropkick by the Rock and Rolls on Big Mike Scott and then Ricky Gibson locking on the Gibson leg lock for the pin, which was clearly supposed to be the real finish here. Scott didn't kick out when he should have off that dropkick, and the referee not going to count here. He's not going to count because the match is already over and probably a wise decision given that the promoter is Bill Watts. You're going to make the count. If they don't kick out, you count it anyway. Another awful showing here by Mike Scott's all I can say. It was very confusing finish with everything, you know, and then like you said at the at the end, the referee was standing up yes. and doing the count, you know, during the Indian death lock and it was like nobody knew what to do. It was very bizarre, but I'm sure this was a big deal to Robert Gibson, I would think, you know, teaming with Ricky Morton is lifelong tag team partner in, in wrestling and then team his brother as well. It's probably a big thrill for Robert Gibson to take part in a six man match. Oh yeah, he's got it. He's got both partners, his uh, two biggest partners in his entire career. Obviously, the Rock and Roll Express, but also before that, for those who don't know, Robert's brother Ricky, his older brother Ricky, was his tag team partner uh, for years. Uh, Ricky has sustained a serious, I think, was it a knee injury, and he was out for a very long time, at least full time. He was never. He, I don't think he ever came back to the business full time after that knee injury. But it's cool to see him here in 1986 in the Mid South. Yeah, yeah, he got thrown a bone, you know, and it, it was neat. Like you said, he was able to team with his brother again, and uh, and I know Robert had fond memories of that when I saw him at CAC, and he had asked me if I had any footage of, of his brother, you know, and uh, he, he thinks very highly of him, so it was cool to see those two together again. That's awesome. Uh, we're going to go on. More action here. Coco Beware stepping in the ring with Gustavo Mendoza. Yes, I can't wait for this one. Coco Beware dancing with the fans on its way to the ring. Jim Ross doing what he does best, noting that Coco was a nose guard in high school. A, a very familiar finish here that would immediately be added into the Mid-South intro video as Mendoza charges Coco in the corner where, going up and over and running across the ring, jumping up to the middle rope, and as Mendoza comes running at him, Coco drop-kicking Mendoza's face off. Even Joel Watts and Jim Ross with an organic response. Big pop on commentary as Jim Ross says, call the dentist. I wrote, oof, what a dropkick. That was 37 years ago, and you can remember it like it was yes. yesterday. It, it's probably the most devastating dropkick in the history of wrestling, and I put my notes that Mendoza's head is probably somewhere in the third row. You know, it was just, it was brutal. And when you watch it again, especially on the slow-mo replay, it, yes. I can't believe Mendoza didn't break his neck. Yeah, it, that, it was unbelievable to see what, what he went through. It's funny you said that because I wrote here in my notes, Coco actually so excited after that move, I, I guess the adrenaline pumping, that he he gets up off the cover in the middle of the cover. The referee makes the count of three anyway because Mendoza wasn't going to get up. So Coco picking up the winner just in just one minute and 33 seconds off that missile dropkick. And as great as the shot is for the opening video, the actual live action dropkick, like you just said, that instant replay from the other angle was even nastier. You you see the head snap back on Mendoza as he runs into that dropkick. And Coco really over with the kids, but man, what a violent dropkick that was. Really fun stuff. And like you said, however many years ago that was, it still sticks with you. One of the most memorable spots, really, of the, of the 1980s. Yeah, it, it was incredible. You know, people talk about Jim Brunzel, and I've seen his dropkick in person many times. But the dropkick Coco did there... If I live to be 105, I'll probably remember it. It was it was just, words cannot do justice. Do yourself a favor and, and check out that video for those of you uh, listening, you know, watch it on YouTube or whatever. It just, it was on. So your jaw drops when you see it. 
And guys, for those curious, I know a lot of you guys enjoy the localized promos, and I do have a few of those upcoming here throughout the rest of the episode. And the reason I didn't play the ones that were already aired earlier in this episode of TV was wherever they recorded them from, the echoing was absolutely ridiculous, and there was no way I was going to be able to play it here and you guys really be able to understand. I really couldn't believe that was acceptable and that they put that on TV. They were like doing the interviews in a garage or something, and man, the echoing was just insane. But I do have some more promos coming up in the upcoming episodes of TV, so just hang with me. But right now, we are going to go to a couple of sound bites. Roman. Municipal Auditorium, March the 9th, a joint show between Mid-South and Crockett, going to send a few of his talents in because of the upcoming Crockett Cup. Right now, we're going to hear from Tony Schiavone as he interviews the boogie-woogie man Jimmy Valiant and gorgeous Jimmy Garvin. It's Sunday, March 9th, 7 o'clock, Municipal Auditorium in New Orleans, Louisiana, supercar to the NWA, and Jimmy, the boogie-woogie man, right, comes to New Orleans to take on gorgeous Jimmy Garvin with Precious, and here he is, the boogie-woogie man, Jimmy Vance. Hey, man, have you ever seen my old lady? No. Big mama, baby. Are you talking about a 10? Precious, you wouldn't even get in the backseat of my ride, Jack. I want to tell you something. New Orleans, Louis Diana, your boogeyman's coming. Me and you, Garvin, you're going down, baby. Here with gorgeous Jimmy Garvin and Precious, both coming to New Orleans to take on Jimmy the Boogie Woogie Man Vaya. You know, I look so good from behind that I even impressed myself, and I don't know if the people in New Orleans are ready to see a real good-looking man or not, but one thing is for sure, if you want to see gorgeous Jimmy Garvin and Precious beat up one ugly Boogie Woogie Man, it's going to be in New Orleans, Louisiana. And after all, honey, I'm going to have to give my fans a little treat. Let me turn around and just show my face okay, for a little Jim. while. <laughs> yeah. All right, and there it was, just a quick in-and-out promo, really generic promo from both guys, not much to it, but fun to hear the boogie-woogie man and gorgeous Jimmy coming to town here in the Mid-South. Yeah, and, then, you know, of course, they would be part of the Crockett Cup, part of the merger and everything, so it's a good idea to expose the fans to part of the people from the NWA, you know, because they are going to have a merger at the Crockett Cup in a few weeks. And speaking of the Crockett Cup, up next on the show, we get a promo for the Crockett Cup before... Heading off to the main event here, as promised, it's Jake the Snake Roberts taking on Terry Taylor in a number one contender match. The winner going to meet North American champion Dick Slater at a later date. As the match gets going, Terry Taylor busting out the flying five arm just two minutes into the match. His finisher connecting with Jake just two minutes into the action and the force of the blow sending the snake out to the floor and then eventually the groggy snake man rolling back inside as Taylor taking over. There's a lot of female cheers here, Roman, but also a lot of boos mixed in as well for the babyface Terry Taylor. But Jake, he has fans too. Make no mistake about it. Jim Ross even pointing out both have their own fans, it would seem, here tonight. And some fans, they don't know who to cheer for. Cheering for a little both, and some maybe even kind of trepidatious about making any kind of noise here. They don't know who they want to cheer for as Terry Taylor working over the arm of Roberts. But Jake still groggy from the bump on the outside. And Jim Ross thinks Jake hit his head on the concrete. So great sell job here. The story is Jake ate the five arm, took the bump to the floor and maybe hit his head again, which explains why he's not quite with it here for the matchup. As Roberts, though, finally has enough and counters an arm bar with a short arm clothesline to both cheers and boost from the fans as the snake works a chin lock until Terry Taylor countering with a backbreaker. And I can't get over these boos I wrote here because both guys, especially Terry Taylor, are getting booed. And they're both baby faces, so they're they're obvious. It's very unique, I would have to say, Roman, because it's not just the fans cheering both guys. It's not just the fans booing one and cheering the other. It's a mixture for both guys. So 
different fans feeling different ways about both these guys. Yeah, you know, it's like when they have a heel versus heel matchup. Eventually, they're going to start to cheer one of the heel teams. But here on this, I don't know of anybody at that time, and just as a fan, not even being in the arena, that would boo Jake Roberts. I mean, I could see people booing Taylor of the right, two, right? But I, who would boo Jake Roberts at this time? Yeah, he was, I mean, you know, next level over. I can't stress how over that guy was right here at this point in time, and I can't believe they let him go. Yeah, exactly. And you know, and we had talked about it, you know, with the merchandising, what, what they could have done, and everybody chanting DDT, you know, and everything. I mean, Jake was over. That was in an era when it wasn't done a lot. I mean, think about it, Jake DDT a woman. Right. DDT Dark Journey and people pop, they still cheered for him. That was one of the longest sustained cheers pops I've ever heard. Also, I should mention over 30 seconds, I believe, without without the decibel level dropping. So it was just insane. The crowd solidly behind Jake. Yeah. And I mean, he had it all, you know, the psychology, the mic skills, the end, you know, to to let him go. Yeah. What a huge mistake that was. So we'll get back to the action here. Jake keeps trying to make a comeback, but again, he's a little groggy. He's a little out of it, but he's hanging in there, and he isn't done yet. He fires back with his patented knee lift on Terry Taylor, but Terry comes fighting back himself, Irish whipping Jake into the corner, but Taylor making a huge mistake, ducking his head for a backdrop, and there's one thing you don't do, Roman. It's duck your head in front of the snake. And Roberts coming out of the corner encounters the backdrop with the, you guessed it, guys, DDT, and it connects Jake the Snake rolling Taylor over for the one, two, three. Jake the Snake pinning Terry. Well, wait, but wait, it appears Terry Taylor's foot was under the ropes. Boo. Jake Roberts celebrating here as Terry Taylor rolling out to the floor. But referee Tommy Gilbert has to explain to Roberts that there wasn't a three count. The match will continue. It would appear here, and I love this spot next. Taylor trying to re-enter the ring through the ropes. But Jake rushing at him and catching him with an awesome knee lift as he's climbing into the ring. Great stuff there by Roberts. Taylor down and out on the mat. But the snake, he's not done yet. He wants to finish Taylor off once and for all, sizing Terry up for a running knee lift. But as Jake runs into Taylor, Taylor sidesteps and sweeps Jake's leg out from under him. Roberts goes flying backwards down onto his back. And the groggy and shaken Jake back up, though. He's not done. Hooking Terry for that second DDT. But this time, it's Taylor countering with an inside cradle. Terry Taylor getting the win. One, two, three in eight minutes and 43 seconds. This match was better than it had any right being the contrast of styles here. And they're both professionals. These guys are two of the best of all time. But I didn't see this finish coming. It was so exciting. Yeah. You hate to see Jake lose. Or I'll speak for myself. I hate to see Jake lose. But this was a good match. And it just reminds you of what Taylor could do pre-Red Rooster gimmick. You know, I've mentioned it many times before, like, what a talented guy he was, you know, and it's a shame that he'll always be remembered for the Red Rooster gimmick. Yeah, and it's it's really unfortunate. I was always rooting for him when he went back to uh, WCW as well, but it just was never going to happen. Then he got labeled, you know, the tailor-made man, Terrence Taylor, all that nonsense. And he would still just bust out really good matches on TV, but all for naught because, you know, it was all, it was all over. Nobody was going to take Terry seriously, like you said, but Man, he was always a great, tremendous worker in the ring. And honestly, just the contrast here, I was not really excited about this going in, even though both of these guys, I was a huge Terry Taylor fan as a kid. And as a kid, it didn't mean nothing to me that he was kicking and clawing and scratching and you know crowing and, and all that nonsense, Roman, because I was a kid. So it's like, uh, okay, 
whatever. But I mean, I was always a huge Terry Taylor fan. So, I mean, that that says a lot. But going into this match, I just didn't see these guys meshing well. But boy, was I wrong. And I love the finish here. And Jake, man, just the master of the knee lift. Knee lift could have been his finisher. Oh, yeah. He was that good. I mean, the only one that was comparable to me was Mr. Wrestling 2. But as far as the, the knee lift, I mean, Jake had it. You know, it was explosive. It was powerful. It was quick. I mean, yeah, his knee lift was incredible. Yeah, I love the one where Taylor's trying to get in the ring and he just clocks him with one. I mean, that was believable enough to be the finish. Had that needed to be the finish, Jake going over there. Very believable that he knocked Taylor out flat with that one. It was really good. Would have been a great way for somebody to turn heel as well. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a heel-type maneuver, but people weren't booing. You know, Jake right. was over like nobody's business back then. So Jake the Snake sitting up after the matchup, dejected from the loss, very visible there. And Terry Taylor celebrating on the outside of the ring to a mixture of cheers and boos. Very noticeable boos here as Terry Taylor picks up the win. Yes, and uh, Taylor later on would be no stranger to boos. And I I actually like Taylor's heel work. I thought Taylor was a very good heel because it was kind of an extension of his personality. He's been known to be kind of a smarky, yeah, kind of a smarky, sarcastic guy. And, uh, it came across. I like Taylor as a heel much more than I did as a babyface. So the reality here is this match was taped on February 11th. That was also the same night that Jake found out what was going on behind the scenes and gave his notice. So Jake actually would wind up winning the North American title from Dick Slater on February 14th and then dropping it back February 23rd to Dick Slater. But perfect air date here because Jake's last match was the night before this aired. February 28th, Jake Roberts losing the TV title to Dick Slater in Houston which does indeed put Terry Taylor in line for a title match with Dirty Dick Slater. So really well done, great production, and uh, yeah, we're all set up for Terry Taylor's the next man in line for the North American title and Dick Slater. Yeah, and uh, pre-internet, so they could do that. You know, he was right. he was gone, like you said, he wrestled his last match the, the night before, and nobody knew. The, you know, it's it's a love-hate relationship with the internet, Roman, because I don't want to know. You know, it would be great if I didn't know, and I enjoyed all this, but... At the same time, had I had access, I have no doubt I would I would have Googled it and looked it up. So it's a, like I said, it's a love hate relationship. I can't control myself. Well, I'm I me personally, I'm glad we grew up in an era where there was no internet and we could just oh yeah be surprised. It made this you know, all I thought so that much was more wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. I agree yes, with you. exactly. You know, when when a new wrestler would enter a territory or do a run in, and it's like, wow, I didn't see that coming. You know, it was a lot of fun. So I got a couple sound bites here for this episode of Power Pro, just some localized promos. But other than that, just some really quick results, guys. So we're going to run through this March 2nd edition of Mid-South Power Pro Wrestling. Kicks off with the Rock and Roll Express scoring a win over Ben Alexander and David Dillinger from Jim Crockett Promotions TV. Rock and Roll is king. As we hear from Jim Ross talking to the Rock and Rolls next, discussing the upcoming Crockett Cup event and the many teams involved, Rock and Roll Express going to be part of the Crockett Cup. Oh, when you think tag team wrestling, it's hard not to think of the Rock and Roll Express. So it's a perfect, perfect fit right there. Upcoming next week, Municipal Auditorium, March the 9th. One of the matches on the card, tape fist match. Ten rounds if it goes that long. Hacksaw Jim Duggan slated to take on Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer. Both been standing by right now. It's going to be Duggan with Terry Taylor as his second in the corner. On Buzz Sawyer's side, it's going to be Dick Slater. Right now we're going to hear from Hacksaw, and we're going to hear from Buzz Sawyer and Dick Slater. Folks, I don't know if you understand this, but what we get to do is we get to take all the tape that we need to tape up these hands. And if all you folks out there in Mid-South know, it's going to take an awful, awful, awful lot of tape. 
to take all that stuff, Jim Duggan's paws up. But then when I pick them up, baby, they're just not fish. They're just not tasting. They're weapons, baby. They're illegal weapons. They're the things that's going to knock you out. Because it's not going to go 10 rounds. It's going to go quick, sir. Because I've been waiting for this. Every time you go and get the little stuff, you drag your can. Well, this time, baby, we got to take this. So the goalie's only going to get going tough one time. Sounds hard to say. It's going to be harder in the ring on you, sir. Because I like I said before. There's nothing I like better than taping up some grade A ham. And there's nothing I like better than having a shot at you. And there's nothing I like better than getting you to drag your can out of mid-south. Tough guy. This one will go 10 rounds. Now, Terry Taylor will be the second of Hacksaw Doug, and Dick Slater will be the second for Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer. Let's hear these comments from Slater and Sawyer. things a man can do in the ring is take his fist up from one end of his elbow all the way down to his hand. And you can use them take fists just about to do anything to a man's face that doesn't hurt very good. Now, Buzz Sawyer has done a lot of rearrangement on Jim Duggan before. But you know, Jim Duggan is so fantastic and so uncoordinated that he's going to have a hard time holding them arms up for more than two rounds. And then when the third round comes there, I'm going to be right there in your ring. That's right. Me and Judy are going to have on you. That's right. That's right. Clean them. That's right. It's a tremendous Mid-South Wrestling event Sunday, March 9th, 7 o'clock, downtown Municipal Auditorium. Eight great matches, 22 top stars. We'll tell you more later in this hour. Don't forget Thibodeau, Sunday, March 9th, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Six-man elimination tag, and I quit showdown. Plus, on Saturday, March the 8th, in Covington, the new Walmart store on Highway 190 at I-12. From 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. will be Hacksaw Duggan and Terry Taylor. Don't miss the big Mid-South event live in New Orleans. We'll tell you more in the hour. All right, so a little echo there, but I, you could actually hear what they were saying, so I wanted to play that for you. Ten rounds, tape fists, Duggan and Buzz Sawyer. What do you say about that one, Roman? I wish I was there. <laughs> <laughs> they had so many stipulation matches, you know, with the dog collar and, Everything. you know, tape fist, and they could have done an I quit. I Coal mean, miner's glove, you can go back to the fall yeah. of 85. Yeah, man, what's I, crazy. If they came to my town five weeks in a row, I would have went to see them five weeks in a row. You know, that's, I would keep going, you know, because they were, they were exciting to see. They worked well together. And, uh, yeah, you couldn't go wrong with Duggan and Sawyer on the card. Amen. Up next, tape from Tulsa. It's the Birdman, Coco Beware, taking on Sean O'Reilly. As we see some botches early on by O'Reilly here. It looked a little off this week, but it also appeared some Joel Watts editing thrown in here to hide it for the most part. So good job there by Joel Watts in the editing because uh, I saw a couple of camera changes that all of a sudden the guys were in a completely different position. And unless you know what you're looking for, you might have missed it. So good job there. I would have never caught this back in the 80s by Joel Watts. And Coco Beware landing the middle rope dropkick and to pick up another win in three minutes' time. And up next, we've seen it before, but it's still in business. We've heard about it in the past. It's Buck Robley's Super Pro Wrestling commercial. I'm going to play another one for you guys right now. Change the channel. You're seeing right. It's Buck Robley, but I'm with Super Pro Wrestling. And we'll be appearing in the area March the 1st in LaRanger at 8 p.m. We'll be at Metairie, Louisiana, at the Landmark Motel on Sunday, March the 2nd at 7 p.m. Such stars as the Oats Brothers. Mr. Two, Rathley, Mr. Two is coming back. Mike George is back. My old nemesis, Scando Rackmauer, is going to be here. Many, many more stars. So look for us in the area. We'll be here. All right, there was Colonel Buck Robley apparently feuding with General, well, I don't know if he was a general yet, but Scandor Akbar in your main event for Super Pro Wrestling. Now, I always loved Scandor Akbar, Roman, but as a main event wrestler in 1986, 
think they're stretching a little bit. Yeah, I don't know what facility that was in, but, you know, maybe a high school that could hold 40 people, you know, would have been a good call for that. But, yeah, I wouldn't want to see Skandor Akbar in my main event. Yeah, Not, these, not, not in that year. And these super pro shows, they go downhill pretty fast. The first month or two, lots of names that maybe they can't make it, you know, in the big leagues anymore at this point, but a lot of names that people are familiar with. The Oates Brothers, Mr. Wrestling 2. I mean, there were some names we talked about last time that, I didn't even know we're still wrestling at this point. And I, it, it was confirmed. They actually did show up at least for the first couple shows, like Apache bull Ramos and, and uh, um, Bobby Duncan. So it's crazy. And then, you know, a couple months later, you look at the roster and the only name on the entire roster, you know, is Buck Robley. So you see where this is headed. Yeah. Buck, Buck was one of those guys that like Embry, you know, was only on top when he had the power of the pen. Power Pro goes on. It's Hector and Chavo Guerrero taking on the Fabulous Ones. This was in Houston, December the 27th. The Fabs steal the win here. 17 minutes of TV really making use out of these matches on Power Pro between the Guerreros and the Fabs. Uh, realistically, the Fabs are already gone. Hector, he never even comes into Mid-South. So this match really at this point, more filler than anything. Good filler, but filler nonetheless. Yeah, I was going to say, there's a lot worse 17 minutes they could have... Uh spent it on at least you know at least they gave you a quality wrestlers and a quality match yeah can't complain there uh we head back to more localized promos from municipal auditorium march the 9th remember the joint show crockett sending a few of his talent in it's another promo here tony shivani standing by with jimmy garvin and precious then on the other side it's the boogie woogie man jimmy valiant Ringside with gorgeous Jimmy Garvin and Precious coming to New Orleans to take on Jimmy the Boogie Woogie Man Valiant. It's going to be quite an event, Tony. You know, I like all the people to bring their old ladies off of Canal Street, pull them up out of Bourbon Street in the gutters where they've been hanging out all their lives, and come and see the Boogie Woogie Man himself get his brains beat out. I mean, it's not every day, you know, the greatest wrestler in the world comes to New Orleans, but I'm coming, and Precious is going to be right by my side, and you know what? I think I need a kiss. Whoa. Ha 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 ha. And now let's hear these comments from the one and only boogeyman, Jimmy Valiant. Ringside, New Orleans, Municipal Auditorium, Sunday, March 9th, 7 o'clock. You will see Jimmy, the Boogie Woogie Man Valiant, take on gorgeous Jimmy Garver with Precious. And here he is, the Boogie Woogie Man, Jimmy Valiant. What you got there, Ryan? I want to see all my people, all my brothers and sisters on the street. You Boogie Man's coming, baby. New Orleans, Louis, baby. And I want to say, Precious and Beautiful, what's his name, Jack? Jimmy Garvin. Jimmy Garvin, look out. Boogie Man's in town. Woo! Ooh, mercy, Roman. Jimmy Valiant. You know, somebody asked me recently on Twitter, he said, Ray, what is your take? What was your take of Jimmy Valiant during this era? Let me tell you something, guys. My son has been binge-watching Mid-Atlantic with me right now, and we're near the end of the summer of 84. So I've had all the Jimmy Valiant I can take at this point, Roman. But as a kid, <laughs> I couldn't get enough of the Boogie Woogie Man. And I, you could probably see where I'm coming from with that. As a kid, I'm not really looking at the work rate so much as I am just the character. Yeah, I'm I'm a little familiar with the Mid Atlantic, but uh, yeah, <laughs> you Valiant are you was kidding one me? Of those guys. <laughs> Valiant was one of those guys that the people associated with him. So every time Valiant got a win, it was like the people got a win. You know, he was one of them. So it didn't matter that he was not technically a good wrestler, and that you know Simply. he was basically a kicker and a puncher, whatever, right. and. They bought into him. They bought into him. He was one of them. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of Jimmy Valiant lately. A lot of uh, Charlie Brown. <laughs> I was going to say, did Charlie Brown make an appearance uh, during your Mid Atlantic watching with you with your son? 
Yeah, you know, it's uh, amazing how identical the beard is of Charlie Brown and Jimmy Valiant. I wish I could grow something like that. Very glorious beard uh, from uh, both guys. But yeah, it's uh, it's pretty interesting. My son said, hey, how come when they shaved Jimmy Valiant's beard, why did Charlie Brown's beard get cut too? I said, I don't know. It's kind of odd. But yeah, it's the way it is. <laughs> but yeah, guys, we'll get back to 86 in the Mid-South. But I just want to touch on that Jimmy Valiant just uh, growing up and even in the 90s, you know, I just there's a piece of me that will never let me dislike the character, but if people today watch it and they groan, at the same time I get it. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I, I would totally understand it. You know, like you said, he's you look at him, you don't think pro wrestler. You know, like right. he, he's he's not a steamboat, he's not a brisket, he's not a mat technician, but uh, you know, I, I, like you said, you can see both sides of the argument or both sides of the coin. Yeah, it worked for a long time. I'll give him that much. He he made money and he was on top. I mean, my gosh, his feud with Ivan Koloff went on for about seventy five years. It did. Uh, you know, that's funny. That was uh, what my what my son kept saying. How long does this go on? Apparently, the entire year of uh, what was it, eighty two or eighty three? Want to say eighty two? Is that right? Eighty three. Yeah, it, something like that. It went on for a while. And yeah. when I met Ivan Koloff at Cauliflower Alley, Jimmy oh. Valiant was there, and I was like, "Gee, wouldn't that be great if they started to mix it up?" And <laughs> but, but they're buddy. They were buddies, so okay. it was, was kind of right. funny. I guess you gotta be when you're married to somebody for a year on the road. But uh, right. <laughs> we'll move back to the Mid-South here in 86. Up next on Power Pro, a throwback. Again, we see the February 85 matchup between Terry Taylor and Jake Roberts. Taylor getting the win with the five arm. Then it's Jake blasting Taylor after the match with the boot, tossing referee Randy Anderson aside before the DDT on the chair, causing those six stitches. Good complimentary piece here with Jake and Taylor match. Of course, the big match aired on Mid-South TV. Speaking of which, here on Power Pro, Jim Ross points out that Taylor recently proved himself by beating Jake on Mid-South TV recently to fully prove he is the number one contender to Dick Slater's North American title, if there was ever any question there. As we close out this edition of Mid-South Power Pro, we've got one more promo lined up for you guys. Again, Municipal Auditorium, March the 9th. Tag team action coming your way. Tag team champions putting their belts on the line. It's Doc and DiBiase. We're going to hear from them. We're also going to hear from the challengers, Dick Murdoch, and the Masked Superstar, and as of right now, it's going to change, guys, but as of right now, it's supposed to be the tag team titles on the line against the mask of the mask superstar. Let's listen to the promo. The Mid-South tag team titles on the line inside a steel cage. Loser of the match must leave New Orleans for 90 days. And the special referee for this match, you see him in the ring, Killer Carl Cox, will be the special referee as Ted DiBiase and Dr. Death go against these two men, Dick Murdoch and the Superstar. D.B.R.C. and Doc, you'll never ever get my mask, because you got my main man, Murdoch, with me. And we're ready for you. We've been praying hard. Come on, D.B.R.C. and Doc. We're going to have those titles around our waist. And the short, short future. But you know one thing, straight D.B.R.C. and Doc, it's in a cage. Mid-South Tag Team titles against the mask of the superstar. Nobody's ever taken a mask off. It's not going to start now, but it's in a cage without a cage. But one thing about it, there's not going to be anybody that can help you. We're going to be inside a big steel cage, and it's going to be a battle. And I'll guarantee you what, DiBiase, and Doc, you know this too. We don't back up from anyone. So bring it all together and be ready for a fight, because it's going to be a barn burner, son. Now, those interviews were made before Murdoch found out that Killer Carl Cox, the man that taught him the brain buster, was scheduled to be the new referee inside that steel cage. Now this from the champions. 
Well, Superstar Murdoch has been going round and round. Now it's a cage match, huh? The belt against the mask. That's right. Nobody in and nobody out, Murdoch. You've been telling everybody how you want to finish me off. You've been telling everybody how you guys want the belt. Well, it's as simple as this. You're either going to be the new Mid-South Tag Team Champion, or we're going to find out at least who one of the Masked Superstars really is. But the one thing we know for sure is there's not going to be anybody coming in and jumping up from behind. It's going to be a clear-cut victory. Somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. Ain't nobody beat this team yet, baby. And we're making a prediction. Ain't nobody going to beat us yet. All right, Roman. And the story, or at least the uh, clauses in the quote-unquote contract, will change here as, uh, like I said, Kelly Kaniski uh, hasn't hasn't left town yet, but they're going to change it up. They're going to add a loser lease for 90-day clause as well into this which we'll get into in the next promo from these guys. But uh, it's amazing the matches making the rounds right now. Doc and DiBiase versus uh, Bill Eadie or Kaniski, take your pick, and Dickie Murdoch. That's something that you would think of in New Japan or something, but to actually see it in America when it was Bill Eadie, gosh, that would have been incredible to be there in person for that. No doubt. As we close out this edition of Power Pro, we get a bird video or the bird video from Coco Beware as we move into the following week television, March the 8th, Mid-South Wrestling TV in a what I've dubbed the special hot stuff edition as he's all over the place on this episode. Roman, as we get going, this show taped also March the 2nd in the Fairgrounds Pavilion, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And this week, it's Bill and Joel Watts teaming up on commentary and the Cowboy going to talk the upcoming Crockett Cup event before making this game-changing announcement. Let's listen. Well, you learn everything in life the hard way, and certainly I learned my wrestling that way. But we want to thank you for joining us. We have some important news. Saturday, April 19th in the Superdome in New Orleans, the first-ever Jim Crockett Sr. Memorial Tag Team Tournament for $1 million cash. This will be live, in person, no TV or satellite, live. 20 of the world's top tag teams. Tickets are on sale now at the Superdome box office and all New Orleans area Ticketmaster outlets. Some of the teams already entered are the Mid-South Tag Team Champions, the Road Warriors, the NWA World Tag Champions, the Midnight Express with Jim Cornette, the Rock and Roll Express, America's Team, Dusty Rhodes and Magnum TA, the Fantastics, the Fabs, the New England Sheep, Sheep Herders from Japan, Tiger Mask and the Giant Baba from Canada, Dino Bravo and Rick Martel. This will be the most awesome group of tag teams ever assembled for a one-night tournament for our $1 million prize. We'll be keeping you up to date on new entries, the seeding, and the bracketing. Secondly, because of recent developments in the wrestling business, we will change the name of our TV show in two weeks. The quality of our television events have been a great source of pride for us here at Mid-South, our fans and our athletes. But our expanding television syndication brought about by fans, true wrestling fans, in other areas wanting to see our show, co-ventures such as this Superdome event with Jim Crockett Jr., and new agreements booking our stars in foreign markets like Japan, Germany, Australia, and New Zealand require a name rather than, that's not a regional name, a name that encompasses all these progressive strides. We will have that announcement about that name in two weeks. There was special announcement by Bill Watts. Mid-South Wrestling will be changing its name in two weeks' time, becoming a national and even an international promotion. They must journey out and they're being forced to create a new name that is more national rather than regional. So Bill Watts trying to save face there with the local fans as he's uh, playing it up like he's being forced to change the name of the company. So even in changing the promotion's name, Bill Watts, the great explainer. Yeah, and it was 
an exciting time back then because as a fan, you were like, okay, what, what are they going to do next? You know, they're changing the names, they're going to bigger arenas, you know, and just there was excitement in the air. You, you figured something big was going to happen. Yeah, whether Bill Watts had the money to do it or not, he certainly gave off the impression that they were going big time. With everything you just mentioned, the new arenas, the new production, the new name change, they're going national. I mean, doing a really good job of getting over as major competition to the uh, big two. I won't even include AWA here, though I probably should since they were on ESPN by this point. But let's let's face it, Crockett and the WWF, Bill Watts really trying to give them a run for the money. He's He's serious about this. And they branched out, and I'm happy to say I was actually able to go to a UWF show when they merged with the NWA, because I would have never been able to see the UWF, you know, being out here in Vegas and, you know, nowhere near Oklahoma or anything. So when they branched out, I mean, that was a big deal for me to come see them. Oh, lucky you. I never never had the pleasure, but man, uh, what a stacked roster, as we're going to see as the time goes on here. Now, I'm not going to give it away, guys. I'm sure everybody already knows the name that's going to be selected, but they're not going to announce it for two more weeks here on TV, which is really odd to announce it two weeks ahead of time. But I love Watts didn't just walk into it. Uh, hey, guys, yeah, this is what we're called now. He kind of gave everybody a heads up, even gave him two weeks to uh, let it soak in, which was really cool because in most you know places you would think they probably just pop up UWF, no warning, and say, this is us now. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, they gave you a little bit of warning, but to kind of whet the appetite a little bit, yes. you know, to give you a little popcorn and not quite the butter yet, but just kind of get you salivating. Like what's going to happen next. Definitely put the buzz in the air. What, like you said, what, what are they going to call it? What's going to happen next? What can we expect next? And then you're also thinking, Oh, they're, they're going big time. Are they going to get some more big time wrestlers coming in? You know, who, who's going to come to the territory and uh, yeah, your mind was going in a thousand different places when you heard about the name change. Yeah, good job creating buzz here by the Cowboy, as always. And up next on TV, we're shown a big title versus title match down in Sam Houston Coliseum. It's dubbed the Final Confrontation, the no-disqualification matchup with Dark Journey suspended above the ring inside a shark cage. It's TV champion Jake Roberts taking on the North American champion Dick Slater. We see a clip here, Slater defeating Jake Roberts, thus becoming not just the North American champion, but the TV champion as well. And by the time this airs, Jake Roberts already working for the World Wrestling Federation is up next on the show. It appears that Dick Slater and Dark Journey, we've been warned or we've been alerted, have called a press conference of sorts. Let's listen to Dick Slater on what he has to say. Sir, February 28th, the Sam Houston Coliseum in Houston, Texas. There was a final confrontation between Dick Slater and Jake the Snake with the North American title and the Mid-South TV title on the line and at stake no disqualification dark journey suspended high over ringside in a steel cage dick slater won and is now both the north american champion and the mid-south tv champion well as distasteful as it is these were the stipulations that both men wanted and it was no disqualification slater is both titles now and knowing that here in the mid-south we don't allow the north american champion to hold another singles title that doesn't affect tab tag team statuses dick slater called us up for an impromptu press conference of sorts. Right before the taping was scheduled to begin, he made these sta statements. Hi, I'm Journey. Everybody knows who I am. I'm with the greatest North American title holder. We're somewhere near downtown Tulsa. Of course, this is the famous Arkansas River. And I think he has something to say to you. You know, I brought Mid-South here because I want him to be with me. On a very beautiful day, 
the wind's blowing, the Arkansas River is looking really nice, and I have something in mind. See, being a North American heavyweight champion, I like to say the greatest North American heavyweight champion holder of all times, they made a ruling that Dick Slater, you cannot own the TV title and the North American heavyweight champion at the same time. Well, my lawyers changed that ruling, but Mid-South is still negotiating saying that Dick Slater cannot defend the North American title and can't defend the TV title at the same time. So I would figure out the only thing for me to do is retire the television title. And I have a way to retire the television title, don't we, baby? We sure uh, do. The way I look at it, since it's a beautiful day and the river's flowing real nice, and I wonder if this thing floats. Do you think it's going to float dirty? Well, there you go. Now that's what you call retiring the television title right there. Now Mid-South doesn't have anything to say about Dick Slater. <laughs> Look at it, Dirty, it don't even float. All right, and that was taped, if you guys heard the wind in the background, taped outdoors in Tulsa on the Arkansas River Bridge as Dick Slater discussing not being able to hold both the North American and TV title per Mid-South wrestling rules. So... What does he do, Roman? He's going to retire the TV title right now, then tossing the TV medallion down into the river. Does it float? Doesn't appear so. Channeling his inner Ronnie Garvin here, who did a similar deal in Knoxville many years earlier, but really cool watching Dick Slater tossing that metal off the bridge down into the river. And that was long overdue. I was tired of the medallion. And, and there's maybe people that think the WWF and Stone Cold Steve Austin were groundbreaking, throwing a title into the river. It was right. done before. You right. know, it was definitely done before. And I was glad to see the medallion go. And then later on, they actually have a physical belt for the wrestler to wear as the TV champion, which I thought was nice. Right. It did so many things here. It created, it made Dick Slater a cooler heel for me. Anyway, I thought that was really cool. Anytime you do something, this dynamic, so different, you know, nobody had seen that in the mid South prior to that. This guy had the audacity to take a title and toss it into a river. We saw it on TV. We know he did it. Wrestling's not fake. What are you talking about? I watched this guy throw a belt or excuse me, at a medallion into the river. What a, what a douche. I mean, you know, and it works so many different ways because it really gets the Slater character over even more with me. But at the same time, like you said, they do it for good reason. Well, you got rid of the medallion. Now what are we going to do? You're going to have to replace it. And we'll talk about that as the TV goes on. And with Slater dumping the title into the river, you better believe the cowboy has a response. And here it is. Well, as he is so named Mr. Unpredictable, and as I said, he did this without warning and on his own. I know my personal opinion of this act of arrogance, but the Mid-South Board of Directors has not had the time to formulate an official response. But I promise you, there will be one. So there it was. Bill Watts has his own opinion on things, but he's going to save that for now. But he does state that the Board of Directors will have a response to Dick Slater's actions in the upcoming weeks. So the Cowboy, going corporate here, going to leave it to the Board of Directors. And I thought it was good, too, with him throwing the medallion in the river. It was kind of like a subtle way of getting the point across, like, I don't need that belt. I'm right. the North American champion, and that's what matters. And you tell me I can't hold both belts? That's fine. I don't need this anyway. And you're right. I'm keeping the North American title. I don't even need this thing. Tosses it like it's nothing. A TV medallion straight into the river. And Dick Slater just, another level. It's crazy to think and where he's going to be in just a few months' time, working the underneath, barely appearing on TV for the next year for the WWF. 
Yeah, as, as the Rebel, a gimmick that went absolutely nowhere. Yeah, I don't even know what the gimmick technically was supposed to be, other than he carried a Rebel flag with him to the ring. Yeah, they already had some. Like, Sweet Hansen used to do that. You know, right. And that got over so well when the Big too. Swede did it, right? It got over so well with Sweet. <laughs> so... Uh, up next on the show, we go into a commercial break and, uh, this is a new Orleans feed. So we actually get a commercial here for WWL channel Four, mid South TV moving to an hour earlier. Roman, I was surprised when I saw that hour earlier would be 10 35 PM 35. That's Turner time 10 35. So that means they were coming on at 11 35 prior to this on Saturday nights. Not, not the most ideal time slot for something as big as mid South wrestling in the Louisiana territory, but late night wrestling could be a lot of fun back in the day. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. You would think something that was that popular. They would want to put it on a Saturday afternoon or Saturday morning, but it's kind of late night. But yeah, like you said, late night was kind of fun. I remember when we had WWOR that watching the WWF at like 11 o'clock at night, you that's know, what, you yeah, couldn't that's, sleep. That's oh, what I was going to say, I'll put it on I, wrestling for years. Yeah. I believe the WWF, was on WOR at uh, midnight as well. So it's crazy to think that was the time slot. If you wanted to watch wrestling, that was the only way you were going to watch it in that New York market. So it's it's crazy uh, the way things were. Hey, you know what? Back in 1996, I was up every, I think it was Saturday night, 2 a.m. Roman to watch ECW. So that's just where we are in this world. That's, that's things you do to watch wrestling. Well, in ECW's case, it was, you know, because the violence or they might say a sure. bad word, you know, you that was what we heard, at least from the sponsors. But yeah, for for the other leagues back in the '80s, that was kind of surprising to have late night wrestling like that. Right. I was just pointing out what a super fan will do. You know how late we'll stay up. Oh, oh no doubt. <laughs> and it was kind no, of funny no because yeah, I, we had the USWA in syndication, and it came out at the same time Saturday nights at two a.m. So in one room, I would be recording ECW and watching ECW, and the other room. I'd be recording USWA, and then I, you know, if I walked past to go to the bathroom, I might stop and see what the cyberpunks or whoever the hell was, whatever the hell was going on at that point in time was doing there on USWA. But yeah, it's just kind of funny. I think about being up that time of night to, just to watch wrestling. Yeah, and man, you really are hardcore if you were recording some of those USWA shows <laughs> in '96, mind you, of all, of all times. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's probably why I have so much footage, I suppose, as we roll on with the show. <laughs> Terry Taylor in the ring taking on Big Mike Scott, so we got to watch him again here. We see a clip from last week, Terry Taylor defeating Jake the Snake Roberts, so once again, reconfirming us that Terry Taylor, the new number one contender to Dick Slater's title, and it's the five-arm here, fairly painless and quick matchup. Terry Taylor scoring the win over Mike Scott, who somehow continues to retain his job. Taylor picking up the quick win in one minute and 22 seconds. And then up next, it's called the TV main event. Though it's not the last match by any means on this television episode. It is the Birdman, Coco Beware, taking on hot stuff Eddie Gilbert in the TV main this week as Eddie Gilbert offers Coco a spot in Hot Stuff International. But wait a minute, Roman. Didn't Eddie just retire? Boy, that was fast. That was in my notes, too, that just one week prior, turning his retire, you know, his so-called retirement, you know, and now he's now he's back a week later. And I had mentioned, too, that Coco with the right opponent, you know, and I had even thrown the name Eddie Gilbert out there. And then to yeah. see these two work, and uh, this was a good match. Oh, yeah, and I was expecting it. So I was, you know, pleasantly, I won't say I was surprised, I was just pleasantly happy, I guess, <laughs> best way I can put it is. Uh, these guys didn't let me down. They had a fun match here, and. Anyways, Eddie Gilbert offering Coco a spot in his group, but Coco says thanks, but no thanks. 
from the Birdman here, and Gilbert uh, bailing out of the ring as Coco unloads early on, but back inside, Ware staying on top until the referee separates the two in the corner, and Eddie Gilbert with a cheap shot dropping the Birdman, and a little Fargo strut here from Eddie Gilbert in the ring, and then things get fun on commentary as well. I'm going to let you guys listen, and then we'll talk about it on the other side. Cowboy Bill Watts on commentary, folks. Well, I'll tell you, I, I just don't like people like Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert because, you know, he's talking about his sugar mama where he's got this money, and he's, he's living off of a woman. And I guess I grew up in an era where if a man lived off of a woman, they uh, only had one name for him. There was four others and started with P. I won't say that right now, but there's always, I guess I'm just a, an old-time chauvinist that I think the man is supposed to earn the living. And he's living off this lady, whoever she is, this mystery woman, and she's now buying him talent. You know, that's almost as sickening as Jimmy Cornette living off his mother. And there it was, Roman. Bill Watts goes on about a man living off a mystery woman, a sugar mama, as Bill Watts puts it here. He says in his day, the men earned the money, and a man who lived off a woman was called a four-letter word that starts with a P. I sat here for five minutes, Roman, when I heard that, and I kept thinking and thinking. I googled. I'm not ashamed, guys, to admit it. I'm trying to figure it out. I wrote, prick? But that's five word. That's five letters. And I'm drawing a blank, Roman. You got to tell me what four-letter word that starts with P that apparently you can't say on TV describes a man who lives off a sugar mama. I'm thinking Watts did not count the letters right, and it was supposed to be a word that starts with P and ends in Y. That uh, was my uh, that was my guess. Interesting. Okay, I didn't even think that way, but man, it's just uh, ugh, I. I Bill Watts is something else. I love it. I, 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 would, I, I would love to go ask him, you know, I wish I could go back in time and, and go back to 86 and say, what was it, Bill? What, like, what was the word you the were only, referring to? I have no idea. The only thing I can think of, if in fact this was it, was putts. You know, that's four letters. But yeah, I'm, I'm thinking it was uh, started with a P and ends with a Y and it was five letters. Okay. All right. Well, we'll roll on with the matchup. Uh, because we do have a match in the ring, guys. Coco Beware trying a comeback on Eddie Gilbert, but runs into a sit-out clothesline, and then Gilbert with a monkey flip. But Hot Stuff, though, missing a middle rope reverse body block, and Coco going up to the middle rope himself. Dropkick connects, and Coco Beware picking up the win over Eddie Gilbert here in 5 minutes and 23 seconds. And I guess Eddie should have stayed retired, it would appear, Roman. Yeah, and... You think of the people that Gilbert had in his faction with Terrace Bulba and Korchenko. Finally went for an American. He tried to get Coco, and Coco wanted no part of it. And speaking of Taurus Bulba, post-match, Bulba attacking Coco, making it two-on-one. Gilbert and Bulba putting the beat down on Coco. as hot stuff grabbing a chair, but beware with the dropkick instead. Where then taking the chair away from the heels, and the heels running off away from Coco in the chair. And I'm thinking Bulba versus Coco where... Probably wasn't going to sell many tickets, but at least putting Bulba against Ware hides the fact that Taurus is vertically challenged uh, for that monster role. It makes makes Taurus look, uh, you know, kind of, I won't say taller than Coco, but at least it doesn't enhance the fact that he's, uh, you know, short, short in stature uh, by stepping in the ring with the Birdman. Yeah, neither one of those two would be confused with skyscrapers, that's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, so it uh, looks like we're going to have a match, and uh, it is upcoming, at least in Houston, between those two as we roll on with more here on Mid-South TV. Jim Ross in the ring talking to the Sheep Herders next with their anti-American propaganda, stating that they want the tag team titles as they talk the gutless champions, Dr. Death and Ted DiBiase. And speaking of which, up next it is 
Dr. Death and Ted DiBiase stepping in the ring to take on the team of Sean O'Reilly and Gustavo Mendoza as the champions dominate until the Sheep Herders show up at ringside, which distracts Doc long enough for the opponents to take over the match. Briefly, as an angry Dr. Death makes the quick comeback and an Oklahoma stampede on Mendoza, going to pick up the quick win here for the champions, two minutes and 35 seconds, and then post-match, the Herders have the champs so riled up Ted DiBiase pulls O'Reilly into the ring post-match for a power slam, and then the champions tossing the enhancement workers out of the ring to make room for the Sheep Herders, inviting the would-be challengers inside. But the Herders, they have second thoughts, and we'll have to wait another day to see these two teams go at it in the ring. Just made you want to see it a little bit more, you know, that little tease and uh, good booking, you know, not, not to give it away on TV, you know, to make them want to go to the arena and see it. Yeah, and it brought out the aggression who the former heels, DiBiase and Doc, showing a little more aggression here. Doc uh, gets distracted, gets frustrated with the fact that he was distracted, takes it out on poor Mendoza, picks up the win, and then we see something that we haven't seen DiBiase do since turning babyface, and that's, I won't call it illegal, but he's attacking a job guy post-match, hitting the power slam, just trying to prove a point here to the Sheep Herders. We're ready for you. Get in the ring. Sheep Herders doing the heel thing, and no, no, we'll wait to another day, mate. And DiBiase had one of the best power slams in the business back then, oh. you know, probably second only to Buzz Sawyer. But yeah, DiBiase had a great power slam. Yeah, I don't think anybody can top Buzz Sawyer, but I'd agree that would be the, my one, too, as well. Yeah, yeah. That was, I don't ever remember them botching a power slam either, you know, which was impressive as many times as they did it. And I mentioned this was kind of like a hot stuff special edition of Mid-South because he's everywhere. Well, we're back to the ring and it's Korstia Korchenko with Eddie Gilbert in his corner taking on Ron Ellis as Gilbert comically in a Yushenka here. That's one of those furry Russian hats uh, playing it up as Korchenko, the Russian that he's managing. And uh, it's the over-the-shoulder backbreaker by Korchenko as he walks around before finally dropping to his knees, dropping Ron Ellis across his shoulder, making the cover and picking up the quick win, though not quick enough for me. 90 seconds was the match, and I wrote, ugh, that was not pretty, Roman. And I don't know who's hiring the talent. For Hot Stuff International, first it was Tars Bulba, now it's Korchenko. Now, better days are ahead for Eddie Gilbert, but first, ugh, we got to look at these guys. Yeah, his stable was not impressive to start out with, you know, and I, it's it's a disservice to him, you know. I mean, right. you, you get him some, some wrestlers that are over and, and you know, maybe, maybe get him a championship under their belt and whatnot. It makes Gilbert look that much better of a manager, but you're going to push him as a manager and then, then you give him, I don't want to knock him too bad, but let's just say not the greatest workers in the world to be part of his stable. Right. We all start somewhere, but I would have liked to have seen Gilbert start with a little more than what he has to work with here. I mean, you know, it's not as, I mean, it's actually worse than, but it's, I kind of liken it to the million dollar corporation in the mid nineties. Ted DiBiase is supposed to be a millionaire and he's uh, buying Nikolai Volkov out of the crowd and King Kong bunny back into the business and comma, the Supreme fighting. Oh, you know, you know the guys, but I mean, it's just, what are we doing here guys? You know, somebody that just popped into my mind, somebody like Kamala, I think, would have been good yes. for Gilbert. You know, Kamala, did, Kamala didn't cut promos. Gilbert could have been the mouthpiece. Kamala was a savage. That would have been a great choice. But Terrace Bulba? <laughs> I, I know exactly what you mean. But maybe, well, I don't know if you want to call this an improvement or not, but up next, it's the debut of the Blade Runners on TV. It's the Ultimate Warrior and Sting, though not yet named that. But that is who it is, guys. Managed by Eddie Gilbert, so his latest members to his stable, 
I guess you can call it an upgrade, at least in looks anyway, are the Blade Runners here taking on the team of Perry Jackson and Steve Dahl as Castle Walls by Styx Plays for entrance music. No names yet in this match, I should note, for the Blade Runners as Bill Watts putting over the huge one's size, the huge one being the Ultimate Warrior, putting over his size here, says that his back blocks out the entire camera, comparing the team to the Road Warriors in their rookie start. And Roman, we can laugh about the quote-unquote success of the Blade Runners as a tag team, but the duo, they go on to become Sting and the Warrior of all people. And what I think hurt them too, besides them being green, the face paint did nothing for them. The way they wore it then, and I, the, the warrior had like black lipstick or whatever. Yes, I was like, I what were they doing with these guys? So here are my notes for the match, guys. Uh, this is what I wrote. I wrote both men, not just the warrior guys, both men. People forget how green Sting was. He, he rivaled warrior in greenness here. Uh, maybe even a little worse at points and times, but Sting finally, you know, he developed, he listened, he got a lot better. But here, go back and watch this on my YouTube channel. Uh, both men very aggressive in the ring, almost too aggressive, I'd say, which makes them very sloppy and very stiff to their poor opponents. Warrior with a press slam on Steve Dahl as Perry Jackson tags in and just mauled with real forearms. You can hear them and stomps by both of the Blade Runners. The finish sees the Blade Runners hitting the heart attack, only not remotely as smooth as the Hitman and the Anvil, before Sting making the cover on poor Perry Jackson. Blade Runners picking up the win, 2 minutes and 44 seconds. I would have hated to have been an opponent oh, of those you ain't back kidding. in the day. You just, are not kidding, man. Just, you know, you hear stories about Ahmed Johnson, you know, hurting people accidentally. Or I could totally picture that. You know, they were so green that if they gave you a body slam, it'd probably break your back. You know, like... They just did not know what they were doing. They did not look good in the ring. They did not look fluid. And Watts on commentary saying it reminded him of the Road Warriors and whatnot. If you go back and watch the Road Warriors in the early days, kind of similar. Their clotheslines. I remember Hawk oh. delivering a clothesline, hitting, hitting a guy in the stomach. You know, like just yes. it, they were brutal back then to watch. I mean, you, the legend of the Road Warriors has grown and everything. But when you watch their early days, good gosh, they, they were not a technically sound team or whatnot. You know, they, they missed a lot of their moves. Right. And yeah, not by any means were they technically sound in the ring and it took them a while, but you know, obviously they got better as well, but and sting does also. And I'll argue that the warrior got better than this. So, so uh, that, you know, people are lucky. They didn't walk into this. Uh, I feel so bad. Uh, we're going to have another match up here in a minute with these guys. And I just feel so bad for their opponents. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know, you got to start somewhere and, and they, you know, to my knowledge, never had the desire, the dream to be pro wrestlers. They were part of a power lifting team, you know, right. the the power quartet USA or whatever they were called. And so, you know, you, you got to start somewhere. Yeah. Power team USA uh, from there to the Blade Runners. What a career change for both guys. But they adapted. I'll give them that. And, you know, a lot of people, a lot of detractors of the warrior. Again, I was a kid. I was a warrior fan. I'm not going to lie. A lot of people pretend like they weren't. I don't know who what, who bought all those warrior shirts, all that merchandise, if nobody was ever a fan. But, uh, I mean, it's interesting to see these guys go from what they are here to what they're going to be in just a couple years. Yeah, did not see that coming at all. No. We got one more match here on Mid-South TV. It's Dick Murdoch and the Masked Superstar, the real one, guys, Bill Eady with Kelly Kaniski, superstar number two in their corner, taking on the duo of Ricky Gibson and Tracy Smothers. And Ricky Gibson, he may not have the look anymore of a professional wrestler, at least 
one you're going to push. But he proves he can still really go in the ring. Really fun seeing him here in 1986. Reminds me of how good he was in that 70s footage that's out there. And Smothers eating the superstar Southpaw clothesline here to do the job. The heel team, obviously, Murdoch superstar going over in just two minutes. And I thought it was cool that on commentary, Watts mentioned that Murdoch was a former WWF tag champion. Watts was known for knocking the WWF a lot of times, you know, calling them cartoony and this and that. But he knew when to use the name of the WWF if it meant enhancing or making his workers look a little bit better. So to hear that Murdoch was a former WWF tag champ, I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, actually, that was my next uh, line in my notes as well. I wrote, holy shit, can you believe Bill Watts mentioning Dick Murdoch was one half of the WWF tag team champions using the World Wrestling Federation to put his guy over? So the cowboy at this point, Roman, you got to say, clearly knows the power of the WWF on the airwaves. Yeah, exactly, because, I mean, it wasn't too long before that. You know, when Junkyard Dog left and everything, he said he had a breakdown mentally and chose to seek easier competition, and that's why he went to the WWF. Yeah, they started those uh, ridiculous, well, they're not necessarily ridiculous, they're kind of fun, those videos where we're real and the other wrestling shows are fake up there in the New York territory, and uh, they use breakaway chairs. Literally says the line, breakaway chairs, Roman. I couldn't believe that. (laughs) Yeah, Watts would defend wrestling, you know. He believed in the kayfabe. I I remember him knocking that Jerry Lawler had a thing going with Andy Kaufman, you know, that their feud, you know, he's an actor. He's got no business in the wrestling ring. And, you know, just kind of interesting to hear Watts take on things. He was never, uh, never shy on commentary. And uh, as we conclude this edition of TV, Bill Watts then promoting an upcoming house show that'll feature many of the region's legends appearing on the show. And fittingly, he signs off using the old tri-state announcer, Danny Williams line. So long, and watch out for flying chairs. Very little of that out there, the footage of Danny Williams. Very little, I should say, but uh, pretty cool there to hear the Cowboy do that uh, to conclude this episode. For those who don't know, uh, like I said, Danny Williams was the original like, long-term announcer of the old McGurk territory, so pretty cool that they're doing this house show with all these legends coming back to appear. Yeah, it's always nice when you pay homage to people that help pave the way, so you know, to hear that little tribute was kind of cool. This being 1986, most of the guys that he's, you know, they're bringing back are the actual true golden era legends. These guys are still around here by the mid 80s. So it's cool to have guys from the 50s and 60s and things back here that the fans remember, or even the 70s, you know, coming by to say hello on a show. So I just thought that was really cool that they were doing that. It what didn't start with WCW and Slamboree. Territories were doing that long before. And it makes sense, you know, if. You wanted to relive your childhood and, hey, let's go see this legend from the past or whatever. It makes perfect sense. And I wasn't part of the Paul Bosch retirement show, but I based off the Observer and what Dave Meltzer wrote anyway, some of the guys that they brought in from, you know, from years gone by got the biggest pops of the night were some of the legends that had retired. So that was pretty cool to, to read as well. And that was, you know, in the August of 87. Right. You can't always go back in time, but when they present an opportunity like that, you do feel like you're going back to your youth, your childhood, uh, you know, maybe going to the matches with your grandfather or whatnot, you know, so it it is neat to go back in time like that and pay tribute to people like that. All right, guys, we're going to cover one more piece of TV here this week. And then if time permits, maybe we'll get into the next Sam Houston Coliseum show as well. If we don't have time for that, we'll pick up the next episode with that show down there in the Paul Bosch territory. But for now, We're definitely hitting March 9th, Power Pro Wrestling, hosted once again by Jim Ross. 
Kicking it off right away, the February 28th match in Houston, it's Dick Slater defeating Jake Roberts for the TV title. We know Jake Roberts is gone from the company at this point, so we move on. And then from Jim Crockett Promotions, more action, tag team action this week. It's Midnight Express, Dennis Condry, Bobby Eaton, with Jim Cornette in their corner, defeating the team of Denny Brown and Rocky Kernodal. The Midnight Express, another of those teams coming in for the Crockett Cup. And how can you not be excited about that? You know, no matter what incarnation of the Midnight Express you were a fan of, what great tag team. And then with Cornette, there was always extra excitement. So the fact that the Midnights are coming in makes you want to see Mid-South even more. And remember, this episode of Power Pro marks the 9th, which means tonight, guys, Municipal Auditorium, March the 9th, another localized promo here. Now it's the tag team titles on the line versus loser leaves for 90 days. Ted DiBiase, Dr. Death defending their titles against Dick Murdoch and the superstar inside a steel cage, but an added twist now. Special guest referee announced in Killer Carl Cox, as we hear from both teams. Now, tonight at 7 o'clock tonight, downtown in the Municipal Auditorium right here in New Orleans, 7 o'clock starting time, handsome Jimmy Valiant, the boogeyman, against gorgeous Jimmy Garvin. Of course, he'll have Precious at ringside. You'll see Coco Ware, the New Zealand Sheep Herders. You'll see Terry Taylor challenge Dick Slater for the North American title. Ten rounds scheduled for Tate Fist. Hacksaw Doug against Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer. And inside a steel cage, the Mid-South Tag Team titles will be on the line. No disqualification. Loser leaves for 90 days. Ted DiBiase and Dr. Death Steve Williams will defend against Dick Murdoch and the Superstar. And the special referee for this match will be Killer Carl Cox. And now let's hear this from Dick Murdoch and the Superstar. You know, you talk about stacking a deck against the Superstar and Dick Murdoch. Not only is it a cage, loser leave, but they're also bringing in a man I hate, the man I despise. The man that probably had the greatest battles in Mid-South area, Killer Carl Cox, He's crazy. the special is he, referee. Is he He's crazy? dangerous, Super. He's a dangerous man. Where, where do they come off with this? Why don't they put us in the cage with Carl Cox and tie our hands and then beat us up and throw us over the cage and cut us off in a U-Haul? What do you want? You want blood? You want guts? You want the stack deck? What's going on here, my duck? I have no idea. I mean, you got me involved in some kind of bad situation here. I know that Carl Cox hates you. He'll be hating you after it's over. Remember this, Cox. Put your nose where it don't belong and I'm going to dot you with Bertha one more time. Championship on the line, loser leave for 90 days, and Carl Cox is the referee. Let's hear this from the tag team champions. Teddy, we know what's coming up. A cage match. No DQ. Been there before. Oh, yeah. you know what that is. You remember when you get the old rat cornered up in that cage? You know what that means. And these belts are up. Well, let me tell you, Murdoch and Superstar, you've got a match coming to you, pal. You've been wanting us for a long time, Murdoch. You've been telling everybody how you're going to end my career once and for all. Well, we're going to put it in a cage. No disqualification. The belts are on the line, and the loser of this match leaves. One more stipulation. Killer oh, Carl yeah. Cox, special referee. A lot of people don't like him, but the one thing you got to say about Cox, he's definitely unbiased, and there will be a definite winner. The winner stays and is champion. The losers hit the road. Murdoch, and that hits you right in the pocketbook where it hurts the worst. It sounds like it's going to be wild and crazy downtown tonight, 7 o'clock at the Municipal Auditorium. In the cage, the title's on the line. Loser leave for 90 days. No disqualification. Killer Carl Cox will be the special referee for that match. Plus, Hacksaw Duggan in a tape fish showdown scheduled for 10 rounds. The match can be won by a knockout or pinfall. Duggan and the Mad Dog. I'll tell you more about this one in the hour. And there it was, Dickie Murdoch and the Masked Superstar, the real Masked Superstar, I should point out, 
Edie and Murdoch, they, they feel like Carl Cox is going to be biased out there as an official. Then on the other end, it's DiBiase and Dr. Death. They think the opposite. They think Cox will be unbiased. If anybody is going to call it down the middle, it's going to be killer Carl Cox. Now, we'll see what happens. There's going to be some of this aired on TV in the upcoming weeks, which we'll touch on in the next episode, I do believe, of Regional Wrestling Roman. But really fun stuff there as uh, they're, they're really stacking the box in this match. Steel cage match. Referee killer Cox. Titles on the line. Or one of the heels can leave for 90 days. So much going on here. And what I wouldn't have given to be able to see even highlights of that on videotape would have been a lot of fun. Yeah, and I don't remember if it's from this particular the match or it's a, one of the other ones we haven't we're going to get there on TV. One of these matches is aired in progress on an upcoming edition of Power Pro. I don't know if you have that or not, Roman. If you don't, I'll make sure to share it with you uh, as I already took notes for it. So I know there's we're going to see some of it anyway. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I'll have to go through my Power Pro and see. But yeah, that didn't stick out in my in my memory bank. So maybe I don't have that particular episode. We will be covering it before we conclude the uh, March TV here. So we will be touching on it very soon, guys. Rest assured. Uh, right now, though, here on Power Pro, we see a match with Mask Superstar number two, Kelly Kaniski defeating Steve Dahl. That match taped back on March the 2nd. And the Myriad also keep doing these matches on Power Pro. Mexican Deathmatch all the way back in January. It's the Guerreros over the Fabulous Ones from down there at the Sam Houston Coliseum. And we continue on. More action, Roman, this time from the Redmond Fieldhouse in Telequa, Oklahoma. I hope I said that right, guys. Involving the team of the Blade Runners once again stepping in the ring. This time their opponents, Ricky Gibson and Tracy Smothers. And you know, people give Warriors shit for being dangerous in the WWF. And I, I we talked about it already, but go watch this match. Poor Tracy Smothers just eating stomps and clotheslines and press drops. Not press slams, guys. Press drops. Getting dropped out of the middle of the air. I wrote, oof, just scary. And I just feel for Tracy Smothers here. Yeah, that, that couldn't have been fun. You know, like, but, you know, Smothers was trying to make a name for himself at that time. He wasn't uh, a household name by any stretch. So, you know, you got to make a living. They tell you to get in the ring with him. You got to do it. And the match isn't over yet. Ricky Gibson, I don't know if he wanted it, but he gets the hot tag into the matchup. He actually drops both of the Blade Runners, which I'm sure they would have been advised not to do so, but nobody got wind of it. And uh, Ricky Gibson comes in with a hot tag and drops both Warrior and Sting down to the mat. But Warrior, Rock, winds up catching a crossbody from Ricky Gibson and then delivers an awful, awful-looking press drop, pressing Gibson in the air and then dropping him across the knee of Sting, who is down on one knee. And then Sting loses balance as Gibson lands on his knee, and he falls backwards with Gibson rolling on top of him. And I can't say the word awful enough here, Roman. It's so, it's so embarrassing. <laughs> and somehow, this still makes air, guys. I, you got to go back and watch this. YouTube.com slash Wrestling Grenade, March 9th edition of Power Pro. You have to see this abortion of a matchup as the Blade Runner's going to pick up the win here in about three minutes of action. Surprising that made it to air as, as much as Watts like to protect the business and everything, why he would not go to editing like you talked about earlier with Joel Watts doing creative editing. You know, that, that would have been the time to do it. Yeah, I don't know how much, you know, edit the whole match out. I think if, if he put Joel in charge of editing that one, I don't know what you do to, to save face there. It was, that was, uh, that was something else. Something else. Yeah, yeah. Poor, you feel for guys like Smothers that had to get in the ring with people like that. Like, what, what a tough way to make a living. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, final reminder, guys, tonight, Municipal Auditorium, March the 9th, North American champion Dick Slater on the card. He's going to take on the new number one contender, Terry Taylor. Let's hear from both sides. It's going to be rocking and rolling downtown at the Municipal Auditorium starting at 7 o'clock right here in New Orleans, ladies and gentlemen. The North American title will be on the line. Terry Taylor challenges this man, Mr. Unpredictable, Dick Slater. How does it feel, Jenny, to be with the man that has it all? Feels great. The TV title, the North American title, Dick Slater, the man that rules, the man that has it all. The number one contender, Jake Roberts, is gone. And now, Terry Taylor, you fall into that category in professional wrestling as being a number one contender. But being a contender and being a champion is two different things. Now, Terry Taylor, one time you held the North American title around your waist. But you didn't ever wrestle Dick Slater for it. Now that I am the champion, Terry Taylor, you're going to have to chase me for what you want real bad. But Dick Slater plans on being everything he always has been. Well, Terry Taylor is geared up. He is ready to go. Now, Terry's also going to be in Thibodeau today at 3 o'clock. Well, let's hear his comments about tonight's match. Professional wrestling is the most competitive sport in the world today. And sometimes you have to make decisions that aren't too, too popular with the people. You have to do things that the people don't like. Well, nobody wanted to see me wrestle Jake Roberts, but I told everybody here, when I first got here, I was here after that North American title, and I told you how it was. I was going to go through anybody that got in my way. And Jake Roberts, we had a clean wrestling match, and I did come out on top, so I'm the number one contender. Now, the person behind all this, the person that forced it to happen, is Dick Slater. He's getting just a little bit desperate. Because Slater, you saw it slipping away, and I'll be the first one to pat you on the back, because you beat a heck of a man in Jake Roberts. You sure did. But you're going to find out it's going to get tougher and tougher every day you have that title. Because I'm going to be breathing down your neck, and I'm going to keep coming after you until I get what's rightfully mine, and that's that title. So whether you think it's been tough before, you've never had anybody on your tail like Terry Taylor's going to be. There it was. Dickie Slater says he has it all. And Terry Taylor, he's a former North American champion himself, but he never wrestled Dick Slater for the title. Then on the other side, it's Taylor saying that Slater beat a heck of a wrestler and Jake the Snake Roberts, but the challenge is going to get tougher and tougher. And up next in line, it is Terry Taylor. So... The matches start right away. Jake Roberts gone from the territory. They waste no time on the house shows. Slater defending against Terry Taylor. You know, they, they both can lay claim to the fact that they've beaten Jake Roberts and uh, Taylor and Slater, you know, two accomplished professional wrestlers, and it would be great to see. Before we close out this edition of Power Pro, a Crockett Cup commercial. I thought you guys might enjoy hearing Jim Ross promote the upcoming Crockett Cup. We're going to listen to that. We'll talk about it a little bit on the other side before we wrap up this edition of Power Pro. Here it is. The Crockett Cup coming to New Orleans. Let's hear this announcement. The grand prize, $1 million. Saturday night, April 19th, the Superdome will be the site of the biggest live wrestling event in history. See in person the top 20 teams in wrestling compete for a $1 million prize in the first Jim Crockett Sr. Memorial Cup Tag Team Tournament. Teams signed and scheduled to compete live in the Dome include the Rock and Roll Express, the Midnight Express, Dusty Rhodes, the Magnum TA, the Road Warriors, the Mid-South Tag Champions, the Russians, and much more. These great teams, along with many others, will battle for the $1 million prize live in the Dome. Tickets for this event go on sale at all Ticketmaster outlets on Monday, March 10th. Get your tickets early. All right, I can't wait till we get there, Roman. We've got a special episode planned for Crockett Cup 86, and there it was, Jim Ross promoting the upcoming event. Winners get a million dollars in the inaugural Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Tag Team Cup tournament. Thank God they shortened that down to Crockett Cup. Yeah, it's just so much easier to say that way. And uh, yeah, Crockett Cup, What as a fan of tag team wrestling, 
that got me so excited just hearing the possibilities of teams from Japan, Mexico, Canada, you know, everywhere, like the best of the best, the cream of the crop, you know, so how could you not be excited about the Crockett Cup? And then to find out that they also had a few singles matches on there that were worth something. So it's very exciting time to be a wrestling fan. Yeah, I was going to say, usually you sensationalize something up front and then maybe it, you know, it's, you shorten it a little bit by the time you get there. But in this instance, they announced that it's 20 teams, but I think it winds up being 24 teams. Plus, like you said, there's a couple other matches thrown in there as well. So lots of action coming very soon here. April the 19th, the Crockett Cup coming to the Louisiana Territory. And you wonder if, like, as far as the tickets went, you know, did you did you get a deal if you bought both sets of dates? And uh, I don't know. I just wondered, wonder what that was like to buy a ticket back then. Yeah, luckily that wasn't super long ago. Maybe I'll make a post on social media, see if I can find anybody who would know the answer to that or who maybe even attended the shows, uh, whether it was one or both events there. I think they did both of them the same day, uh, like a matinee and then a nighttime pro, uh, show. So. At least, right. for, at least for 1986. So uh, it's uh, going to be fun when we get there. I haven't even started my research on it yet, Roman, so I'm really excited. And I know you already have everything written and ready to go. I know you're going to do a little refresher, watch it again. But I'm excited because I haven't really got to it yet. So I get to put that aside for an upcoming day to just spend a day researching the Crockett Cup 86, and I can't wait for it. Yeah, not only the research, but when you watch some of those matches, like, wow, there were was, there was some that were really good, you know, the it was a lot of fun to go back and watch some of these again. As uh, we close out this edition of Power Pro, one last segment here with the Road Warriors, another team headed to New Orleans as part of that Crockett Cup Hawk and Animal. I put it in quotations here. Singing. It's a Road Warriors music video. I'm sure you remember this one. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> I could still picture them doing that on AWA TV and everything. It was definitely a different time, you know, and we we're talking about the Crockett Cup. It was just two days prior that the road warriors were part of wrestle rock an AWA show, right? That's how over the road warriors were that they were like the Andre, the giant, you know, the traveling superstar, so to speak, that they could call their own shots. They were in the AWA on a huge card on the 20th. And then they go to the Crockett cup a couple days later. You know, it's funny. I don't remember what it was, but I had an after mag from that time period. And it was so awesome because the entire magazine covered WrestleMania two, the Crockett cup, and yeah, in Wrestle Rock 86. So it's crazy. You know, the, almost the entire magazine is all these great pictures and write ups about these three major events. So really cool stuff. And uh, like, like you I, said, man, it's just so many teams involved. Really good stuff. I think that might have been the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Supercards edition. Everything yeah, that you would said make sense. sounds like that. That, that yeah. would make sense. Yeah. But yeah, um, so we close out this edition. It's Hawk and Animal screaming into a microphone. I, I try to grab a few screen caps to post online. I always do that whenever I'm watching a video, just kind of share what I'm watching with everybody online, social media. And I actually took a, it was really funny. At one point, somebody needs to tell Hawk what a microphone is because he actually sticks his tongue out, poses for the microphone, sticks his tongue out into the microphone, <laughs> makes no sounds. I mean, that's great for camera, you know, but I mean, it's uh, he's doing it for the mic and it's just, Really weird. <laughs> but yeah, guys, make no mistake about it. Go look it up. The Road Warriors music video. And I have to put quotations around the word music because there's no singing here. Just a lot of shouting into the mic. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who came up with that idea. But maybe it was the same people that came up with the Wrestle Rock Rumble. I don't know. Could you imagine if Hawk just busted out some opera right there or something? That would have blew everybody out of the water. <laughs> yeah, that would have been interesting. I didn't know you had it in you, Mike. 
<laughs> well, you know, <laughs> and uh, we're going to roll on here. Paul Bosch territory down here in Houston, Texas. Sam Houston Coliseum, March the 14th. We're going to wrap up the show with this one here, Roman. On the undercard, it's Tracy Smothers scoring a win over Gustavo Mendoza. Had to be a fun match. You have to think to open up the card, Tracy and Gustavo. Also on the card, it's Brett Wayne Sawyer over Sean O'Reilly. The Blade Runners making their Houston debut. I bet Paul Bosch was ready to retire here, watching Sting and Warrior score a win over Perry Jackson and Dave Peterson after the Ultimate Warrior busting out a press drop once again onto the knee of Sting, and then Sting coming in for a big splash up onto poor Perry Jackson. I had to make sure to write the word poor Perry Jackson here. This match is actually out there, I believe part of the Houston archives, so... I I happened to watch this, uh, which is how I know the finish of the match. And again, very cringeworthy. And I felt very much for Jackson and Peterson here. Also on the card, Korstia Korchenko over Ricky Gibson, using that over-the-shoulder backbreaker once again to pick up the win. And we saw the buildup on TV just a week ago. Coco Beware taking on Taurus Bulba here in Houston. And it is the Birdman picking up the win over Bulba with that middle rope dropkick. So that feud was quick and to the point, and I think we see where Bulba is headed at this point. Yeah, I just when they first debuted him as, as part of Gilbert's stable, I, I just couldn't see anything long term going on with him. And <laughs> I was I was right, and I don't think anybody else saw anything. I, I I don't know what you could do with the guy. Now the proof is in the pudding here. Coco is not getting a main event push right now, though he is looking really solid on Mid South TV and. No doubt about it, picking up the win here over Taurus Bulba. You have to see the writing on the wall for Bulba as far as a push goes anyway, moving forward in the Mid-South Territory. Also here in Houston, a brutal dog collar match sees Hacksaw Jim Duggan defeat Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer in his own match. Sawyer claiming he had never lost a dog collar match in the past. We saw one on TV with Sawyer, brutal one with Butch Reed, defeating the natural, or excuse me, Hacksaw at this point. Sorry, like I said, guys, I'm doing the 87 project and the WWF over on the grenade show. So he's the natural for me right now as well, but it, it was a pretty fun matchup between buzz and uh, butch Reed right before Reed left the territory. And here we get this one dog collar match. Duggan picking up the win over the mad dog in Houston. Also on the card, it's making the rounds. Number one contender, Terry Taylor defeating the North American champion, Dick Slater by a disqualification Roman. So it wasn't too long ago, just two weeks ago, Slater putting away Jake Roberts once and for all. And he's already back two weeks later working the new number one contender. Uh, no sleep for the champion. No, once once you're on top of the mountain, everybody's gunning for you. And uh, it was exciting just knowing that Slater threw the TV medallion in the river because then you're like, what are they going to do? You know, who's going to be the new TV champion? What's going to happen? You know, there's right. a lot of excitement in that area between that and the Crockett Cup coming up. I mean, that was a great month, uh, you know, great couple months, March and April. Very exciting. Yeah, and I should know we'll find out very soon what's going to happen with that television title. In fact, the next episode of Regional Wrestling, we should be touching on that. But for right now, we're going to close out this edition. A couple of tag team matches left here on this Sam Houston Coliseum card. First, it's the Sheep Herders, Luke and Butch, taking on Chavo and Hector Guerrero. And a fun little finish here. First, it's uh, Butch Miller nailing Hector Guerrero as he was going for a monkey flip on Luke out of the corner. The referee warning Butch, pushing him back to his corner, with uh, Hector down on the mat, Luke making the cover, but as the referee busy with Butch, it's Chavo off the middle rope into the back of Luke, rolling Hector Guerrero on top, so a little tit for tat here by the Guerreros, but now it's Chavo being shooed away by the referee, which then allows Butch Miller back in the ring again, this time with the flagpole, 
to the back of Hector Guerrero, and then Luke rolling back on top again to finally steal the win. So a fun finish, will they or won't they there, as the Sheep Herders still undefeated and looking very strong in the Mid-South Territory. Well, there's a reason they've been a champion in 37 different countries. I suppose. It should just keep growing. 42, I think we're up to now. I don't even know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's fun because every week you never know who they're going to take on. And every week, every time you think, well, they they may have met their match. It's just not meant to be. They put away the Bruce Brothers in two minutes. And here they are defeating the Guerreros, who just came off that big win, that big three-month feud with the Fabulous Ones. So Sheepherders looking very strong for their upcoming matches against Doc and DiBiase. Yeah, they came in like a house of fire, and uh, they were booked right. You know, we talked about how they would beat not just the enhancement guys, but the the, the credible enhancement guys, you know, the, the Smothers, the Brett Sawyers and whatnot, how they would steamroll over them. And, yeah, they were booked right. You knew good things were going to be happening for the Sheepherders. All right, guys, we're going to finish up this Houston Coliseum card here. It's tag team champions Ted DiBiase and Dr. Death Steve Williams scoring a win over the Mask superstar Bill Eady and Dick Murdoch when Ted DiBiase pins Murdoch with the old loaded glove. Ted DiBiase using his old loaded glove, pulling her back out of storage, out of the trunks. And I'm not sure if this was loser release for 90 days or not, Roman, but Dick Murdoch, he's actually going to finish up with the Mid-South Territory here in just a few days either way. Yeah, no doubt he had a tour of Japan. And uh, DiBiase bringing out the glove. I wonder if that was Maggie. Maybe he was cheating on Maggie by this point. Maybe it was a new one. Who knows? But yeah, Ted DiBiase, Dr. Death, fighting fire with fire, the heels, you know, I'm sure there was a lot of uh, chicanery there on the other end between the superstar and Dick Murdoch and Ted DiBiase having to go into the trunks and pull out trustable, reliable old Maggie. You have to think maybe it was Maggie and it picks up the win. They take the win and retain the titles and they'll go on now with Murdoch leaving the company with superstar soon going back to Japan as well. Looks like the sheep herders are the next in line. They have to be. They have to be with Murdoch and Superstar gone. And, uh, you know, Murdoch and Superstar versus Doc and DiBiase, to me that would be a match. Like we said earlier with Duggan and Sawyer, it just wouldn't get old. You know, you could see them in a cage, a regular match, whatnot, just four tremendous workers that you could watch all day long. Yeah, I could see them, you know, making the rounds, like you said, in uh, multiple types of uh, gimmick matches and even just a regular match as well thrown in there. So, you know, and I had talked earlier about Taylor and the Red Rooster. It was nice to see the Sheepherders pre-Bushwhackers, you know, because that's the Sheepherders I grew up on. You know, like you said, the Bloodthirsty, the Barbed Wire match, and to see them in their actual element at that time, it, it's a treat to watch. Yeah, and the, I think the difference there is Taylor was really still in his peak as far as age goes when he got stuck with the Rooster gimmick, and he still had more years left in him, whereas the Sheepherders – they had, they had paid their dues and earned their time, and uh, it was time to you know have some fun on the way out those last few years. I would have to say, you know, doing the Bushwhacker gimmick from the beginning of 89 till I mean, they popped on and off in the WWF through 96. So you have to think it prolonged their career a few more years as well, not having to do all that crazy stuff or take any real bumps. Oh, heck yeah. Doing comedy-type matches instead of barbed wire matches every night or... Or, you know, getting hit with chairs and everything. Yeah, that, no doubt it's, it lengthened their career. That's going to do it for this week, guys. A couple more weeks of Mid-South TV. Power Pro looked at another Houston Coliseum card as well. Lots of things going on here, but the wheels, they keep spinning. Lots of guys leaving the promotion. We talked about Dick Murdoch on his way out. We know Superstar Edie going to be gone soon as well, back to New Japan. Kelly Kaniski quits overnight. I think it was like March 19th or something like that, I said. So, a lot of guys on their way out, but we also talked about a lot of guys headed in, including, as we've seen, the Blade Runners, 
Jack Victory, a few other names headed in very shortly. Lots more coming over the course of the next several months here. And the new Booker Kim Mantel, he's uh, in charge by the next time we do a show here, Regional Wrestling. Going to change up the Mid-South territory for good. And remember, we're not too far away, Mid-South undergoing that name change as well. That I am looking forward to. The name change, the TV title, the wrestlers coming in. There's a reason I wanted to do this podcast in 86 UWF. And all these years later, it was still one of the most exciting federations I've, I've ever seen at that time. Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. You mentioned a lot of things I was thinking about as far as uh, what, what to look forward to in the upcoming weeks here, not just in the Mid-South, but on the Regional Wrestling Podcast. So looking forward to covering all of that and so much more, guys. Uh, we're smack dab now in the middle of March here, but we got so many more months to go in 1986, and I'm looking forward to it, Roman. Uh, looking forward to getting you back here again and closing out the month of March and just keep moving forward. Yeah, the, the Freebirds are coming. The Fantastics are coming. You can go on and on. It's just, it gets better and better for a while. Yeah, like you said, the Iceman, Missing Link. I mean, the names go on forever. Lots of Dallas talent that uh, I had fell in love with by this point. So I was so excited to see them pop up here. And I thought it was neat that also enhancement guys like Ken Rates were on the car. You know, that, that, <laughs> uh, they they didn't forget about them, you know, from the Dallas days, you know, they, they threw everybody a bone that they could, you know, it was, it was, it was neat that Mantel did that. You're talking about old uh, Jeff rates. It went on to become the rattlesnake, I think in, um, in global even, I believe. So he's stuck around right. wrestling for yeah, quite a yeah. while. <laughs> yeah. There were a few enhancement guys. I, I remember from the world class days that ended up at over in UWF. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Kim Mantel giving everybody a bone and uh, we'll see that as we go on. Lots of, lots of names. Everything's just going to get faster and hotter. And I promise you guys, Eddie Gilbert's going to get a far better stable as well. Yes. Yes. And then the commentary too, you know, Watts, Watts was great. Ross was great, but I also enjoyed when they would have Hayes on commentary or DiBiase on commentary. You know, there was always something exciting going on. Yeah. And I can't wait till we get, I think to the month of June guys, because I have a lot of the old uncut, you probably have these two Roman, the old uncut versions of Mid South that they wasn't wasn't the episode that made it to air. It was pre production. It was wasn't produced yet. So uh, you know, lots of uh, swear words and some other silly things happen yeah. uh, on commentary that you guys will really enjoy. I won't mind playing a few sound bites for you guys here and there. Are those uh, really fun stuff? First time I heard it, and it kind of gives you another side of Jim Ross and Michael Hayes and and things like that. So it's gonna be fun when we get there. But I'm going to stick to the story as well. We're going to watch all of the Mid-South, UWF, the Power Pro, all that good stuff and cover all that. And we're not too far away from that special Crockett Cup edition of Regional Wrestling as well. Really looking forward to that. Oh, I am too. I Even though I've seen it and taken notes, I'm looking forward to watching it again and then talking with you about it because I'm sure you're going to bring up points or things I didn't know or, you know, it, it's a learning experience, you know, and I work with you a lot. And it, it's fun, and hopefully everybody out there in podcast land will get a big kick out of it and learn something and enjoy what we have to say about Crockett Cup 86. Yeah, and I'm sure, you know, I'm going to do a lot of research. I'm going to come into that show super excited because it's going to be the first time I watched that in a very long time. So I may annoy everybody with my excitement when we come to that episode. But everybody's saying, what's there to research, Ray? Because it's just a tournament, right? Well, there's just so much stuff going on, and I can't wait to talk about it when we get there, Roman. And I want to thank you so much for being here for this episode. Oh, thank you. I had a blast. I know it's been a while, but I always look forward to recording with you and look forward to our next episode as well. 
Yeah, hopefully we can get another one out very soon. I know, Robin, you're a busy bee. I've, I've said that a couple of times recently on the show. I said, your shoot job is getting in the way of this fun time. It's just a hobby here for you <laughs> coming on here and talking about the old days. But uh, I know you got a lot going on, man. And I just appreciate, you know, when you do find the time dropping by the show, because we love having you and I always get great feedback from your time here. And again, I just can't thank you enough for being here. Well, thank you very much. It's, it's my pleasure. And uh, whenever work lightens up or I have a half day or whatever, you know, I'll hit you up and say, hey, do you want to record again? You know, because I, I look forward to it. This is great to relive the good old days. All right. And that's going to wrap it up here this week for Regional Wrestling and the Mid-South Wrestling 86 Project. Want to thank guest co-host Roman Gomez once more. And of course, I am your host, Ray Russell. You can follow me on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Going to be back soon with more Mid-South 86, more Georgia 81, as the good times continue to flow here on Regional Wrestling, where we talk the territories.